Warning, this podcast was produced by two men who still think that swearing is both big and clever. As a result, it contains quite a lot of it. Therefore, this podcast is not suitable for children, unless they're really fucking cool children. Yes, people, Dave Fensom here with another episode of Pop Collaborate. And listen, now you may be able to hear from my voice, I still sound a little bit nasal. Um, and yeah, I've had COVID, man. I've had COVID pretty bad, actually. It's wiped me out. Uh, and that makes this episode a little bit weird sounding, truth be told, because um, this is the episode that we recorded on U2's Zuropa. Now, I've had a plan to do this for quite a while with our good friend Stephen Hill from the Riot App podcast. But yeah, we had a real kind of plan where Stephen was going to come down, hang out in Brighton. We were going to have some beers. We we're going to have some laughs. We we're going to do it all face to face. And then... Uh, the day before he was due down, I tested positive for COVID and completely scuppered the entire situation. Uh, so what happened is Krista and Stephen recorded in the same room and I zoomed in. Now, what you will find from this, my voice, I sound like shit. Uh, and also I had a little bit of a delay on the line. So I kind of, my brain wasn't moving quite as fast. And I had a bit of a delay. So I'm probably not in this episode quite as much as I normally would be. Um, some of you are probably thinking, what a fucking bonus that is dickhead can't wait to not hear what you've got to say about stuff anyway uh, we had a fun time recording this one a slightly different episode uh, than it normally would be uh, for those reasons but I think it's a good one I think you'll enjoy it I hope you can deal with me uh, sounding like the piece of shit that I sound I think Chris has cut out most of my enormous coffin fits uh, but yeah this covid shit is no joke ladies and gentlemen I do not recommend it it wiped me the fuck out Anyway, um, if you're wondering what's going on in my world at the minute, uh, still running a Forge Comedy Club down in Brighton with my good friend Stephen Grant. Uh, what a club that is turning into. We have had some amazing lineups. We've just got the best lineups it's, it's possible to have at the moment. If you are in Brighton, hit me up. Let me know you're going to be there. Um, and yeah, we'll meet up and have a drink maybe. I'm there most weekends uh, if I'm not gigging elsewhere. Uh, apart from that, we're running Haywards Heath Comedy Club. Uh, Haywards Heat, should I say? Uh, that's a great club that's kicking off as well at the moment. Running a new club in Wooden Dean as well. Um, got loads and loads of stuff going on comedy-wise at the moment. About to release my new special as well. Trying to in the process of kind of working out how and when to do that. Uh, but yeah, hopefully we'll be back on a bit more of an even schedule with these podcasts. I know that we're a bit sporadic, but it's fucking busy and it's free. So what can I say, guys? This has been a long intro already. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hit us up on the socials let us know how you feel about shit uh, and we'll catch up with you soon take it easy Welcome everyone to another episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. Uh, I'm Chris Greer. I'm doing the intro this time because Dave is uh, feeling a bit shit and poorly. But Dave is with us. Hello, say hello. Hello, mate. How you doing? And normally we would have just rescheduled, but 
we have got a very special guest with us. Uh, we have got Stephen, Stephen Hill from Riot Act. Thank you so much for coming along, man. Oh, mate, it's my absolute pleasure. I think I'm on my favourite podcast talking about my favourite band. So oh, it feels like a, check that shit. like a dream. It's a dream come true. I'm not even joking. I'm, I'm really, <laughs> really, really, really fucking happy to be here. Mate, well, let's see how you feel, you know, in an hour and a half. I am incredibly upset because uh, I'm here on the end of a Zoom call and you two are just sat here and I can just see you both drinking delicious pints of beer yep. where I'm surrounded by fucking Lemsip and my own phlegm. Life is hard. I'm having the best day, Dave. I'm not going to lie. This is a fucking treat for well, me. I, I wanted to be having the best day with you. So yeah, I wanted I to be hanging out with you boys and, I mean, being yeah. all bald lads together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the plan was because Stephen's come down to to Brighton specifically to do this, and uh, the the idea was we were going to hang out and you know get some drinks or whatever. But then Dave went and got sick, like a selfish twat, and uh, is unable to join in with the festivities that we're currently doing. Can't. Well, look, the other re- the reason that Stephen has come down is because today's album is U two Zurupa, and. You two are one of these kind of, you know, they're an easy target for a lot of people. Yeah. And so we remembered that Stephen is actually, for uh, being such like a, a metalhead and Riot Act is, is you know, looking more at the heavier side of stuff in general and more alternative side anyway. I, yeah, but, I guess so, yeah. But yeah. you are a huge U2 fan. Yeah, I, I mean, without any question, I'd say they're probably the most important band in my entire life jesus christ like genuinely i i don't i genuinely don't think i'd be doing what i do now were it not for you too they're the first band as a kind of very young child that i actually went that's my favorite band i oh, love right. i love that band and um what era would that be what, what are we talking well, when did you start to listen to them so my mum found a copy of rattle and hum in on vhs oh god wow Right. In a charity shop, right? Yeah. And she brought it back. And because, you know, I mean, I've said this a bunch of times before, but I sort of gravitated as a kid from sort of two-tone into, I guess, whatever was going on in the pop charts. Like a bit the mid-80s. Mo- yeah, like but, mid to late 80s. but more the sort of, I guess, Dur- like, I really like Duran Duran. Okay, I really yeah. like Depeche Mode. I really like The Cure. Mm-hmm. That kind of electro-pop synthwave British bands, Gary Newman and stuff like that, I was always sort of fascinated mm-hmm. by. But never really had one that I genuinely loved until I saw Rattle and Hum. Okay, and so presumably you must have heard you 2 songs on the radio growing I prob- up. I they, probably they were there. Did. Yeah, I probably did. But it was one of those things where... You, you listen to the radio and you when you're sort of five, six, seven years old, you don't you kind of go, oh, I, I feel like I like that man who's got that guitar or sure. the guy with the hat or that girl with the red hair. Well, you don't really know what most things are. Yeah. So it was only kind of having seen Rattling Hum and being like, oh, so this band, they do all these songs. And I feel like, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I recognize Pride in the Name of Love and I recognize Where the Streets Have the Name yeah. and all that, that kind of stuff. And but seeing that was when I sort of tied it all together and I just became obsessed. Oh, it was really straight away. Like totally obsessed. Went out wow, and got, okay. um, I think it was Acton Baby would have been the album that was out at that time. So I got Acton Baby and I think this album came out quite soon after that. So I got that. Uh-huh. I got War. I got Joshua Then you Trier, did, you explored backwards. Yeah, and went mad. And I just think, I mean, then getting into kind of metal and getting into punk and all the stuff that I've, I've got into in the years past that, there was a long period, and of course, you two becoming a bit more bloated and more boring. Of course, and yeah, yeah, fair. Not being good. Like, let's not slice it any other two ways. Like, you two got bad. Okay. Really right. quite bad. <laughs> you know, like the last 20 years of, 20 something years of you two 
popping onwards. I, you know that stuff sucks. It's rubbish, right? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say okay, so def- you're not defending that. I'm not defending that yeah. stuff. But what I will say is that in the last few years, I started listening back to their albums again, and I sort of remembered. And for years, I would be like, you know, I used to like you too when I was a kid, but oh, I'm not really sure. But almost and, apologetically, quite apologetically, yeah, yeah, you sure. know, like oh, you like Pig Destroyer and Converge and <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, agoraphobic nosebleed and bands like that. Surely you don't like you too. And at this point at 42 i've sort of come back around to be like i don't really give a fuck whether or not it's cool or zeitgeisty or whatever in my opinion i genuinely think in 2022 and i've got quite objective reasons for how i can back this up i think you two are the most underrated band on planet earth my goodness that's a bold opinion i look i think i'm with you i think you two up to and including Acton Baby are a fucking force of nature, man. They're a mm. credible band. You know, the fact that they got to that point of where they were on Rattle and Hum and Joshua Tree and then kind of potentially like derailed themselves with what they did with this kind of weird, pretentious world they started living into in Acton Baby and just totally rewrote it all. I think that's a quite an underrated thing that they did. It was almost like a Madonna like reinvention. We've talked about on this podcast, um, your love of acting baby because whenever we did our roundup of 1991 that was one of your albums of the year i think it's a fucking travesty that you know giving nothing away about zuropa but the fact that we didn't get to do a full episode on acton baby and we do one on zuropa it is, blows my mind right, actually sure. yeah it blows my fucking yeah, yeah, mind because like, i because oh no, discovering you guys when you were kind of as a podcast when you guys were kind of halfway through 1992 yeah, and I kind of went back and I was like, "Where's the Where's the acting baby episode?" And then I was like, "Fuck me!" Because when you said I oh, would we'll be doing Zeropa, I was like, "Oh, I should listen to the act." And then realizing acting baby never got to number one yeah. is yeah. maddening to me. Absolutely, it's maddening. annoying, isn't it? It's it's like it's like uh, I've got nothing on Godfather one or two, but here's my <laughs> six hour essay. Wow, hold on there, let's <laughs> not Godfather three. For me, I like just to kind of go back to you two as an underrated band. Mm-hmm. I think. People, it's going to take one of them to die before people actually Ooh. go, oh, yeah, they were great, weren't they? Because Do you think? Because surely they're still one of the biggest bands in the world. They're one of the biggest bands in the world, but they are not kind of critically... Well, you know, like, so I feel like you 2 are the sort of band that... You never see someone who sort of goes, oh, I don't mind you 2 People either go, oh, I think they're fucking brilliant, or they're like, I hate them. And the reasons why people hate them, I think, are misguided, ill-educated bullshit. I mean, Dave's just kind of touched on the idea that Acting Baby is a reinvention, I'd say, worthy of someone like David Bowie. You mentioned right, Madonna, yeah. a David Bowie, one of those people. When you look at the kind of the pantheon of massive, massive artists, Elvis, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Led Zeppelin, David Bowie, Michael Jackson, Prince... Yeah. Uh, I don't, Nirvana, I don't see why you two aren't mentioned in the same breath as those artists. Maroon 5. Maroon 5, (laughs) yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? This is the thing that always comes up with you two, is that Maroon 5, Snow Patrol, Coldplay, Kings of Leon, all those fucking beige, boring, bland fucking bands, all of those bands. Well, it's kind of like that stadium thing that you two populated and invented. But, But those bands didn't have the 15 years of crazy experimentation and brilliant songwriting and kind of there's things we'll talk about today they're kind of the righteous indignation the the polemic the political things Mm -hmm. those bands never had any of that and you two did and yes they got older and they got blander there's no escaping that whatsoever I, i can't defend some of those records but you've got four very individualistic 
very idiosyncratic players, not the most showy of players, mm. but all of them, I think, have their own unique style. All four of them have been in that band from the moment that it started. 40-odd years later, they've never stopped. They've never changed members. And they've written songs that, I mean, you know, again, I suppose going back on what I've just said, but to paraphrase the Lost Boys, like when he says, it's Rice Michael, a billion Chinese people can't be wrong. When that many people are loving your <laughs> <Right>. fucking music... <laughs> I don't think there's anyone who sold that many records that have nothing of any intrinsic artistic value. Oh no, there, value there to has them. to be. If they've got forty years worth of back catalogue and are still selling out stadiums, there has to be something about them. Mm. There absolutely does. Well, I was going to say there's something we've missed here, mate, which is the fact that it is St Patrick's Day, and as such, we're recording this on St Patrick's oh, yes. Day, we should hand over to the, the, our, our resident Irishman to give his opinion on where he was with you with two you throughout too. these years. I enjoyed U2 in the 80s. You know, I was just growing up uh, listening to them on the radio. I didn't investigate any further at mm-hmm. all in the 80s. The first album of theirs that I properly heard was Acting Baby when it came out, because I was 16 when that came out. I did not follow that up at all afterwards. I didn't maintain any sort of level of investigating U2 post-Acting Baby, because I was into different stuff. And I was very easily swayed by all the arguments about, oh, fucking U2, nonsense. And I probably heard one or two tracks off this album that we're talking about today and went, all right, no, that's not for me anymore. Can't be arsed. Mm. That's where I'm at with you two. And I do think all of those classic cliche things that I think Bono is a bit of a prick. And I think that they have done so much wishy-washy nonsense that I can't be arsed defending the good stuff. Mm. I, I don't feel that passionately about it. What I will say is I, I, I was I was at this gig. I, I, I was at the Zeropa tour, saw it at Wembley. And it is it's still a top ten gig that I've ever seen. Yeah, like just at that, just at that point where it's like I mean they, they were playing some of the songs of Suropa, but it was it was apart from that it was acting baby and greatest hits. What a fucking oh, wow. set list! Yeah, damn. I've always had a bit of a problem with people being like, well, they've been rubbish for twenty five years, so fuck them, they're rubbish sort of thing when they've released as much good stuff as they have. I mean, loads of people uh, will tell you how great Metallica are because first five <laughs> albums when was it yeah exactly yeah, like when was the last, the last time album. when was the last time Metallica released a good album when was the, Iron Maiden people still go on about now I mean they've not released a good album in my opinion since 1982 to be fair but right. I know that's not really like a, a popular <laughs> but Iron Maiden have been fucking dreadful Slayer have been fucking dreadful for, were t- dreadful for 20 years like all the big sort of I mean I'm obviously talking more in kind of metal terms here but oh, it, public it, enemy it, yeah, awful. Like you know, how many how many bands get twenty years into their career and start m- releasing their best material? None of them. But you don't yeah. go. You don't listen to Earthling by David Bowie and go fuck Ziggy Stardust. <laughs> like you just don't do. And you know, like you just don't do that. So I don't understand why people go. Oh, I heard how to dismantle an atomic bomb, and now it means war's not very good. Yeah, you're a fucking moron. I had some kid message me on Twitter once when I said something nice about you two, and his favourite band were the Foo Fighters, and he said, "Oh, every <laughs> album, every album they put out is the same," which one is bullshit, and two, you like the fucking Foo Fighters, mate. <laughs> two oh, good man. albums, like they, they've released two good albums. Their first two, they put the last album, good album they put out was 1997. <laughs> Don't come up with the Foo Fighters. Renfrey said, uh, "Renfrey, who I do right act with, did say 80% of my personality is aggressively defending you two. So I, I haven't come here to be like partisan or make any friends. By the way, oh, no, I'm, no, that's I'm, Mate, that's I'm what we got gonna you. be like a fucking Rottweiler defending its master th- today. This is, you know, I'm not backing down for very much. Wicked. 
Very good. Uh, well, uh, I'm just going to do like some some kind of bit of background facts about the album. Um, it's the band's eighth album, uh, so it's their eighth album in 13 years, which is a, a heavy output. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only they only did they only done 14 in total. I I thought they'd done many more than that, but uh, I, they've only done 14 to date. Like yeah. actually studio albums. Um, but yeah, the first one was like in 1980. They have sold over 150 million records worldwide. They've won 22 Grammys, which is more than any other band. But then again, right, I mean, that means fuck all because Grammys are pointless nonsense. Well, yeah, Who gives a fuck mid- about a Grammy? Well, quite. They were massive. And so if we look back at this time, off the back of Actung Baby, huge, huge, huge. And then they came back kind of out of the blue with this album because it was... Originally, it was going to be an EP. They rec- were recording it between bits of their Zoo, uh, Zoo TV tour, mm-hmm. but they decided to expand it into a full album. And then it just was kind of unleashed. I don't remember any promo for this. I don't remember any build-up for it. I believe that uh, the first single, Numb, was released as a sort of multimedia single rather than being released on CD. It was, it was VHS only. A, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. They, they, weren't, they, they put three singles out. Numb was released only on VHS, um, Lemon was only released in the States, uh, Australia, and Japan. And so it wasn't until the third single they actually put a CD single out over here. So, yeah, there was just, it was a bizarre way of doing things. And so to me, it was almost just like they snuck it out. And I remember it at the time because I, I remember it coming out. And like I said, I remember not being that bothered. But it wasn't a huge deal in the way that I assumed a new U2 album would be. I don't know if you remember it at the time coming out. Only because I was obsessed with them around that time. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't necessarily remember it actually coming out, but I suddenly just remember it being It out. was there. And no. then me going, I, that's, yeah. I need to get that because that's, you know, the latest U2 album. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of factors that contribute to that record going from it being an EP into a full-length record. I know, I mean, I think, I believe The Edge has... Uh, production credits for, yes, the first for the first time, time yeah. on this record because he was going through a divorce and I think you know he, or he'd been through a divorce and wanted to kind of really throw himself into mm-hmm. the work and you know I think they felt like if they didn't get these songs out now then they might then coming back to them at another time they might not come out as they sort of intended them and I think when you really, when you know that some of the songs from these sessions ended up being on pop, yes, I think that's probably the right thing to well, have it, done. Yeah, it seems to be because it was between Acting Baby and Pop, mm. and some of the songs on here are kind of almost left over from the Acting Baby yeah. sessions, and some of them were then kept to pop because there's yeah. a big difference uh, between those two albums, and this sits in the middle somewhere. Mm. Well, but yeah, because Pop was rush released as well, right? But that I, was 1997. I, would, I would say with radically different. Um, results in terms uh, of quality well, yes yes indeed um but yeah okay we've mentioned the album cover so let's have a look at that it looks like it's a screen grab from a, a cathode ray tv it's mm-hmm. it's obviously we're, <laughs> we're we're in 1993 so we're kind of joining the you remember 1992 and all that joining the uh remember when the, we were joining, joining the, the eu uh, or about the, yeah, well, the well, e- joining the economic e- mechanism anyway, one of the ERM. E- yes. um, and we were all so full of hope about what it could yield. Um, I suppose if you're Irish, you're still a part of it, but fuck it out. We That's fucked true, that yeah. up, haven't we? But we did. We saw, like, the previous year, we saw Carter uh, on their album. They had the, the European stars on there. The 1992 The Love album. They had the, the, the European flag 
and then it's now turned up on this one as well. Yeah. Yeah. So you got that, and you got the little kind of you got the little uh, zoo TV face, and it's mm-hmm. it's all basically looked like it's been photo. Because if anyone doesn't know, on Acton Baby, the tour was called the Zoo TV tour, and it was presented. It was like a massive multimedia thing. It was loads of different screens showing different things. They did all kinds of weird innovative stuff, like they. In, like did live interviews with Salman Rushdie when he was on the when he was on the run. They did loads of really kind of zeitgeisty like kind of pop slogans yep. and you know it was a cool kind of to be honest with you it was like a kind of a wanky massive attack gig. <laughs> you know it was all very archly cool and very kind of pop culture motivated, which was quite different to their previous somewhat more kind of po faced cowboy hat and fucking like leather waistcoat appearance yeah uh, mm. and probably for the best because no one does well out of a cowboy hat and a leather waistcoat do they apart from chuck norris <laughs> I, was gonna, I, mean, I was like there must be an exception to the rule oh, when you have bullseyed oh, it in, in in one go there Dave. um yeah i mean i think the the there was some genuinely um i think that you know at the time i remember having got into them on rattling hum which I know people have problems with, but I think there's some really powerful shit on Rattle and Hum. I, mm-hmm. I really do. And they did a, a VHS of Zoo TV live in Sydney. And looking at that and, you know, the Mephesto character and, you know, the, the all the weird shit going on. As a kid, I was like, this is the same band? Like, how? Oh, f- it was a world apart. Yeah, wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. As soon as you heard that first fucking riff from The Fly when they released the it mm. was like heavily loaded with all that distortion and that. It's just such a big fucking dirty. I mean, obviously produced within an inch of its fucking life, but it just sounded like a different band. Yeah, completely different band. And I think actually, when you look back at the Zoo TV thing, when at the time I didn't really get it, but then I think because I was so in love with the U2 of Live Aid's The Unforgettable Fire, right, War, sure. uh, and Rattle and Hum and Joshua Tree, I took it all totally at face value. And I shouldn't have done that. And I think this particular era. I would, I think, you know, they go on to pop. I think they become kind of a parody of a parody in a lot of ways. You mm. know, and that joke's not really funny anymore. Um, to to paraphrase Morrissey for yeah. a second, <laughs> but um, but I do think that when they got that balance right, whether or not everybody got it, and as a kid, I'm not even sure I completely but, got it. No, but, why would you? It's not aimed at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but looking back, there's some really weird shit that went on in that, and there's some stuff as well that I think is like genuinely brave in an era when like people can say what they want about Bono it's ironic to me that people go what a cunt Bono is when now musicians have to quote unquote use their platform use your platform you should be saying things you should be saying this you should be saying that well why is Bono a cunt for you know getting there's that bit in Zoo TV where they go live to Sarajevo and there's these women on the screen and they go you're going to enjoy a rock concert tonight and we're going to die bye and then the whole and you think like no one can convince me now sitting here today that that isn't unfucking believe that isn't ballsy as fuck like it just it just is and to be the biggest band in the world and to be doing that that's ballsy as fuck and I think that has massively been forgotten in the aftermath in the last 20 years of U2 being... But to, to be fair, though, if you did that today, that was a £120 ticket. What a fucking downer. <laughs> oh, mate, and absolutely, and apparently... It's a fuck you! Apparently that is, it was a massive downer on the night as well, yeah. but, you know, what do you want from your fucking rock star? You want them to be these moral arbiters for you. That's what everyone wants now. Bono spent 15 years being that, 
And everyone's like, he's a cunt. Oh, look at him giving all the money for to the the acting baby tribute album to you know some Rwandan refugee crisis. Mm. Like that, they they did that tribute album of acting baby with like Nine Inch Nails and Depeche Mode and Jack White and all these people on it and all the royalties that went to U two. Right. They gave him to a charity and people are still like, he's a cunt. Right. Like, all right, have Phil, right. An, have Phil Anselmo. Have your white power. Fucking. <laughs> who, who do you want? Like, what do you want? Stephen, I love you, but. We are supposed to be talking about the album cover. No, I'm ranting. <laughs> Sorry, mate. I told you I was going to rant. I told you I was going to rant. Anyway, yeah. But the album cover is... Uh, is is well, like, Every album in the 90s looked like this, didn't it? Pretty much. If you told me this was a pop itself album cover, I'd be like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. It's nothing amazing. Um, it's Pitch Shifter B-Sides album, Oh, Pitch Shifter. There you are. Exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, the little smiley face is apparently me- meant to represent a cosmonaut who was stuck in space... Whilst the, the the Soviet Union fell apart. Oh right, I had a T-shirt from the gig that had that logo on it. One of three U two T-shirts that I had and wore at six form. Bloody hell! Did you ever wear a cowboy hat and leather waistcoat though? No, no. But no. you know what I did wear? I I would wear black jeans with a pair of bl- sky blue Doc Martens, a black shirt or check shirt over the top of the T-shirt, and a fucking bandana like Axl Rose. My like God. Well, look, uh, yeah, I think we, we agree that the album cover is nothing special. That's no. fair enough. Uh, but let's get into the music then, I guess. Uh, we'll start off. There's only 10 tracks on the album, uh, so it's a relatively mm-hmm. short one. Uh, first track is the title track, Zurupa. Right, so we've got a really slow and quiet fade in on this first track. Yeah. Um, it is... I mean, the, the, the track itself is six and a half minutes long, so I'm looking at this going, fucking hell, this is <laughs> such a, a strange way to open an album. Um, didn't know what to expect. And so, yeah, I, I'm coming into this going, what's happening? What are these sounds? And I thought this might just be six and a half minutes of weird samples, because this is what's kind of going on. Yeah. These loops that... Uh, was one of the things they tried to do in this album. They would take loops from sound checks of gigs and see what they could make. All kinds of things, yeah. Uh, and just, yeah, exactly. So kind of collage stuff. Because mm. um, it's, it's, it's Flood and Brian Eno, isn't it? it? Is. So it's very much in that kind of sound collage kind of wheelhouse. For sure, yeah. Um, but then yeah, a few listens through, I was going, oh, no, actually, I quite like this. And I really like this piano bit. I think it's very yeah. pretty. Yeah, I mean, look... Um, this does not typically sound like the start of a U2 record. Right. And if you're the biggest band in the world, if you're a band of that profile and you are surprising people, whether or not the quality of the records, no matter how high it is, mm. I'm giving you thumbs up right, yeah. just for surprising me. I think doing something new is something that bands should always be applauded for. And this just does not, so this is not Sunday, bloody Sunday. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, we're, we're about to get into where it like, sort the, the of song all kicks proper, in. Right? The song but this proper. bit to me, this 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 could fit on a Nine Inch Nails album to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is and that was what Flood went to do straight after he finished recording this. He went yeah. straight into a Nine Inch Nails one. So I was like, all right, this is interesting. This is not what I was expecting. There we go. Mm. So we've got this heavily processed guitar coming through. Yeah. I'm about to drop into, I guess, fairly laid-back, nice little groove. I like it, man. I mean, mm. look, I think this is beautifully dreamy. It's got a kind of 
shoegaze, kind of an electro shoegazy, like you say, Eno-y feel to it. And it's got a very laid back vocal from a man who you don't necessarily always consider having a particularly laid no, back vocal. No, that's not always what he does. That's very true. Yeah. And it's got, and we're very much still in that kind of pop culture soundbitey kind of vocal reference. Uh, lyrical reference, should I say, that they got into with Acton Baby that continued throughout this. I mean, this album's very much an extension of Acton yeah, Baby. Yeah, sure. I mean, again, you mentioned Brian Eno. Brian Eno didn't really work on Acton Baby, and apparently one of the reasons this record sounds... I would say this is the most experimental U2 album. Oh, okay, yeah. I reckon right. overall, probably. And Brian Eno said... Uh, Acton Baby is fine, but you can push all of this stuff a lot further. Oh, and right. I think he played quite a big part in them. You know, when we get into... There are a few kind of genuinely odd songs on this record. Right, I sure. Think. And um, this isn't necessarily one of them, I don't think, although it is quite different. But it's, yeah, like, this is cool. And I think you can tell that you're about to get something. If Acton Baby was incredibly different the jump is not as big from Acton Baby to Europa as it was from Rattle and Hum yeah, to yeah, Acton sure. Baby. But it's still... It's still, it's still a further, jump. Right. It would, this would be the, the album that I would give to people to be like, that I would play to them and go, guess who this is? And they ah, normally right. yeah, guess. They know, and I've had people going, oh, it's Nine Inch Nails or it's, you know, Pop Bully itself or something like that. Right, and, sure. you know, it, I like this song. I think it's a, a and, lovely yeah, way um, to start. We, we're now like another two minutes in and we're into yet what sounds like a different song again. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, but listen, you've got these kind of weird it's like kind of almost like proto chemical brothers like kind of uh synthy swoops in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I really like the kind of the heavily effects uh laden vocals, the, the distortion that he's got on there that he was kind of carried over from Acton Baby. I I really like this song in general, man. Yeah. It's it's a really long song that doesn't necessarily feel like because we're always very critical of overly long songs on here. And this doesn't feel like it outstays its welcome to me. But uh, it, that, I think part of that is because it's essentially three different two-minute songs or two-and-a-half-minute songs mm. welded together. Like, that first bit is... The, the intro is is just bits and pieces making a sound, a, a collage, to, to get you into it. Then you've got the second bit, which was that bit where Bono was doing all the Vorsprung Duck technique and the Eat to Get Slimmer, all these kind of advertising slogans. And it was written in the studio specifically for, um, for this album. This third bit was uh, taken from some soundcheck recordings that uh, The Edge had been presented with, and he made that into what could be the end of the song. So it's it's different parts. Mm. Um, and so it, that's why I don't think it does get boring because it's not the same thing all the way through. It's three different things. And we're about to get, I mean, where you, where you cut it off then, we're about to get what I would say is the kind of the big, the big building. Like, you know, I mean... Again, Renfrey, who I do the our podcast with, big fan of the the post rock kind of slow build. And for me, yeah. this is a post rock esque kind of build. You know, you've got an abstract, odd, unquantifiable opening. Then you get a very kind of loush, loose part, and then you mm-hmm. get to you know the pop, which is what you got uh, here. Yeah, and, this and, is and the, this the means that you know they're, they're they're a stadium band, and you need to actually give people something to sing along to and then they do here so i think they expertly have their cake and eat it with this song i think it's um right it's a very very 
astute way to start the record, although I don't think it's one of the best songs on the record, if I'm being perfectly honest. Okay, fair enough. But I was very pleasantly surprised by this one. I, I wasn't expecting this sound from them, or these three sounds from them. Mm. And uh, after a few listens, I got very into that. I think it's good. Yeah. I think, to be honest, I, the, the middle bit, which is the, the more loose bit the laid back the groove ridden bit that's probably my favorite bit of it Mm. when it breaks into the big anthemic pop chorus it's fun but it's very obvious and there's nothing wrong with that i love an obvious chorus but Mm. i I prefer the middle bit because it's just a bit it's it's cool it's really cool yeah yeah so i like that very much um in terms of what it's about we, we did the we said that there's the the advertising slogans and it's the marketing stuff and a lot of this album is about technology and how it impacts you and you know screens in your life and you know tv making this huge impact that sort mm-hmm. of stuff um but then the there are other bits where um bono was going i have no compass i have no map i have no reasons to get back and so that to me is like them going yeah, we're trying something new. We don't know where this is going to take us. We're we're giving stuff a go mm. um, and seeing what happens. Which, like you say, is, is that's that's a, that's a good thing overall. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. Any any time a band tries something new, I think they at least get the you know at least you tried. <laughs> <laughs> I like yeah. the, the the get your head out of the mud, baby. That that chorus. That's a bit. You know, he's kind of really shouting yeah. to the sky. That's a really good hook. And like mm. you say, that's a sing along bit for whenever they do the live shows. Um, there is a lyric about, um, and I have no religion, which uh, apparently just from reading up, up around this was quite a strange step for you two to to to, to put into a song because. Some of their early stuff had been very kind of religious heavy and mm. Bono is, you know, he's known to have faith and that sort of stuff. And so for him to say this apparently didn't go down very well with some of their more kind of really devout uh, fundamentalist fans, especially in the States. Yeah, but I, I think that, again, I think people interpreted that in a very surface level mm-hmm. way, to be honest. I mean, this record has a lot of religious, well, I was about to say undertones, but over- oh, no, o- overtones. overtones. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like... Um, but I think within the realm of technology and modern multimedia, whatever, you know, this kind of the digital information age yep. that we were just about to enter into and their sort of obsession with that. For me, a lot of it is, it's not necessarily, I don't, I never saw it as being when he says I have no religion and when we get to songs later on in the album, I don't necessarily think that's about strictly about religion. For me, it's more, what's the line, um, my God isn't short of money, buddy, or whatever. The, there's one of the lines in one of the... You know, it's about mm. tele-evangelists. It's about the exploitation sure. of religion and or the kind of the religion replaced by snake oil salesmen. Oh, yeah, and worshipping idols. Mm. and But also yeah. seeing... Uh, there's some of it about technology being started... You know, worshipping technology and worshipping... Mm-hmm. Um, the images that you see, etc. Yeah, and so there, there's some of that, but there is. I definitely think there is some straight up God Jesus stuff. Definitely. As well. Oh yeah. my God. Yeah. Well, there's yeah, at sure. least two tracks that are explicitly about mm. religious things. Yeah, um, sure. It's true. When you get that big, unfortunately, people, I guess, just look at a lot of things on at face value. And I think this was an era where you two were arguably the biggest they ever got. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff that they were trying to say kind of went over the majority of their fans oh, heads, um, when they're including layering mine stuff even, with so, so I'm much not gonna, yeah. like irony and mm. uh they're, they're deliberately playing around some of it is going to go it's, it's going to uh, be misinterpreted because people don't aren't going to try to to yeah. understand yeah um apparently as well i found out that whenever 
uh, Bono was young. Um, in fact, just after he was born, he was cast in a film. Um, he was an acting baby. Oh, shit. <sighs> Did he um, did he did he uh, take his rattle on stage and hum? There we go. Let's follow that one up. You'll be happy to know I've got uh, I got a few of these as we go through. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm 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 really glad to hear it. But... <laughs> I've taken all of this really personally. By the way, guys. I feel like this should be treating this with the reverence that it deserves, and I'm not happy about the way that this is going. So let's, Stephen. By the by the time you finish this, you're going to feel like you've been dragged through the edge back. Hey, <laughs> nice. Good. Right. Okay, well, shall we do yeah. uh, track number two? Unless Mullins it over, yeah. Come wow. on. Wow. Dave's going for it. <laughs> Full on. Right, so track two is called Babyface. Yeah, this is quite a pedestrian start, but with a weird kind of nursery chime happening in the production. Yes, I don't like the sound of that piano, because it's, it's like deliberately out of tune. And I, that, that rankles me. Uh, I, I love that you bring up that kind of nursery rhyme sound because, I mean, aren't the best pop songs in general all kind of just essentially nursery rhymes of a, of a sort? And I mean, you talk about Dear feels... Jesse by Madonna. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, particularly that one, literally. But, um, but this, again, uh, feels like a bit of a joke to me. Feels like their own little joke, like, haha, let's put a sort of out of tune, plinky plonky, chick child, kiddie piano in it. On a song um, called Babyface. I mean, the problem for me is it starts off a bit pedestrian and it gets to the chorus and it puts the pedo in pedestrian because it's a bit like, come, come on, child, let me untie your lace. That is a weird thing to that, say. That is a weird... First, first but, of all, first of all, dressed up like a lovely day is a bad lyric, right? right lovely day... <laughs> That's a very Partridge lyric, right? And it makes me feel unwell. Let me, let me slow down, child. Let me un- un- untie your lace. It makes me feel a little bit right. Uneasy. But that doesn't mean I don't like the song. I mean, oh, okay. the song, I think it's by design, surely, because this song is about a guy manipulating a Hollywood starlet uh, um, and sort of fantasizing over something on screen that's yeah. what the song's about so i would say that a lot of those things are i mean there's definitely a creepiness a creepily is deliberately meant to be a sort of a weird okay pervy guy right maybe that's the case i, I guess i probably hadn't given it that level of subtext mm. but uh, you know as I, I will concede to you as the bigger fan <laughs> no there, man there definitely is uh, is it specifically about uh, a guy who's actually like a photographer who's taken a photo, or is it like a sneak someone who snuck a photo? That I, kind of thing. I thought it, it's either that or it's somebody who it just says somebody who has digitally manipulated the image of yeah. a famous. So I don't know. I don't know if it's somebody who's pausing and rewinding. But yeah, the, but they're definitely they're sitting in a dark room, mm-hmm. having a, a very uh, sensual time, looking at this image that they've yeah. got in front of them. Yeah. See, and now I've just been sick. Of mm. Yeah, but like there, there are, there's a lot of hyper pop that comes out now deals with a lot of these the kind of duality of doing weird pop songs about kind of quite gross things and that's incredibly zeitgeisty at the moment so you could argue that you two were sort of 20 years ahead of the time by making a sort of creepy sounding weird pop song about a pervert oh we've there was i'm trying to think on the simply red album there was some sort of weird disturbing song about a similar kind of thing Mm. um 
So, uh, you know, did looking Sim- at models. Did Mick Huck- but then Mick Hucknall went and lived that life, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Whereas... Right. You know, you know, the one I always bring up at this point is like the, the opening lyrics to Sugar Babes, Overload, yeah. Strange feeling I haven't felt for years. Boys come in and I'm close to tears. That's fucking... Yeah. They were they were like twelve. That's fucking horrible. Yeah. Uh, but I think my main issue with this song is I don't think this is a very good tune at all. I think this is a very dull pedestrian, as you said, song. I think this is just boring. Really? I honestly do. I think if, if this was one of the ones that they wrote specifically to flesh out an EP into an album, they should have left it as an EP at that point. Um, I mean, it will surprise you not to learn that I disagree. Uh-huh. I really like this song do as you? a kind of yeah, yeah, I do. I think it's a really weird kind of chamber pop. I think it's a, a a disjointed, odd chamber pop song that almost it touches, it sort of presses the same buttons for me as somebody like, and this is quite a big word, somebody like Scott Walker. Good right? lord, who yeah, honestly, like I do. I think that it's it's done in a more mainstream way but Mm. you know that kind of weird juxtaposition between slightly discolored weird melted warped version of chamber pop brought Mm. up to a modern age with a very disturbing lyric i think all of those things feel deliberate for me they don't feel like i mean if you think it's a if you think the tune itself and the Mm. song itself is pedestrian and kind of boring i guess there's not really a lot you can say about that but the intent behind it i think is again incredibly brave for a band who are selling out stadiums i think that's a brave thing to do and um when you think of it in that way the chorus starts to it was always one that i myself didn't care for particularly right when i first heard it i was like what the fuck is this but over the years years and years and years and years of listening to it i mean i listened to this album yesterday on in sort of prep for coming up here just Mm. to sort of re-familiarize myself with it one last time even though i've listened to it loads over the years and i was like Fuck, I really, now I really love this song. I didn't used oh, to. Right. I didn't used Blimey. to, but okay. I do really like it now. And I think it's because all the other weird music that I listen to has given me a, like, a much better understanding. And again, you know, U2 being a massive stadium band, I'm probably going to say this a lot, I hate to sound like a broken record, but they were definitely influenced by all that stuff. And I think this is sort of their attempt at doing it. Ergo, okay. for me, it's getting a pass, definitely. Okay, right. I see. I'm, I, I think I'm. I think I'm kind of more team Krista on this one. It, it, it just whatever its intentions and whatever its credentials are, I just feel like the actual execution is just a little. Like just that overall melody is just a little bit mundane. It doesn't elevate itself from the pack. Like I, I, I remembered this song because I mean I've listened to this song, this album for quite a few mm. years, and I remember the song and I just went, oh yeah. It is what it is. It's it, it's certainly not the worst song on this record, but it's it, it seems like an album track. It feels a bit. It doesn't. It doesn't stand above the pack for me particularly. I don't think it's a bad song at all, but I, it's just a little bit middle of the road for me. Okay. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I mean, I definitely wouldn't have put it at track number two on what if they're trying to do a kind of an outwards looking album. Who knows what they're trying to do, yeah. Krista? Who knows? Up to them. Uh, yeah. It's Brian Eno. Whatever he's doing, it's fucking cleverer than you, right? That's actually very true. Yeah, I can't argue with Eno. Uh, Right, okay, so track number three? Yeah, numb. Now, this is the song I always play to people, and I go, guess what this band, who this band is. Oh, right, yeah. And no one's ever got it. 
What, no like, one who's aware of oh, who, of who are just completely yeah, yeah. unaware of you two. When I say I give you a thousand guesses, right? Guess okay. The, guess what band this is? No one's ever said you two to me. I've had some bizarre answers before, but yeah. I mean, like, to, mm. to me, it sounds like you two does does craft work. Mm. Basically, it's kind of quite kraut rocky, yep. lo-fi, experimental. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of vibe, isn't it? Oh, definitely. It's the closest you two ever got to new metal. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, hold me, thrill me, kiss me, kill me comes out in a couple of that's years. That's true, actually. Yeah, that's yeah. the new metal banger, isn't it? Wow. Surely, that's the closest. That is a fucking. Oh, that tune. is a fucking tune. And this is the one that we said was the first single, but wasn't actually a proper single. It was VHS yeah. release only, which is, again, I think is a very strange thing to do. Um, they are they're, they're playing around with the format of how you promote an album, that sort of stuff. Um, but because of that, obviously, the single didn't chart because it couldn't really you're not going to sell enough VHS copies um, but this is a weird single for them because it's also it's the edge on it not Bono yeah. which is I think that I'll give them that that's a brave step mm-hmm. to put a single out even though it's not a single that isn't Bono led you too. and sounds like this that fucking groove is uh, the weird thing is I remembered this one being an absolute favourite no, uh-huh. I used to listen to this album quite a lot and I went back to it and I went, oh, it's not as good as I remembered. And then I listened to the album three or four times. And every time I listened to it, I liked yeah. it more. And then I, then I listened to it through headphones and I went, oh, this just song is fucking improved immeasurably okay. by headphones. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm back to absolutely loving this song again. I really, really like right. this. Right. I think this is a really good song. Um, I, don't, I remember it from the time, but v- vaguely. Obviously, it would have been on top of the pops or whatever i would have seen it there um but i don't remember enjoying it particularly at that point and again i was me being a stubborn idiot going well now i don't like you too so i'm not going to like you too yeah. but yeah this is a really good song this is really catchy what i don't like is bono's falsetto oh i was about to bring that up actually okay yeah uh, again um not bono's usual vocal stylings yeah and he sort of experiments quite a bit on this album with that sort of falsetto thing, which indeed, is, yeah. Uh, yeah. again, you know, I think it's interesting this deep in your career to start trying to find new ways to use your voice. Sure. Um, so I think that's cool. I think Larry Mullen Jr. is an unbelievably underrated and very idiosyncratic drummer. And I think if you listen to this song, weirdly, this sounds nothing like you 2 But for me, the only thing that of their DNA that remains is that brilliant militaristic beat that okay, Larry Mullen right. brings yeah. to it, which is brilliant. I think, again, the edge... A really idiosyncratic guitarist doing something kind of odd because that that eh, or yeah. wah, that sort of guitar that's the guitar part and I really like that Adam Clayton I would let Adam Clayton do anything to me <laughs> I love him you're just putting that out there and give yeah. listens <laughs> yeah Adam, I would spend, I'd let Adam Clayton do anything so the thing I think is really interesting about Edge's guitar playing on this album and on Act Two and Baby, given the fact that they took Public Enemy out on tour with them mm, in the previous yes. one, is how much like Bomb Squad production bits of the guitar are across the way that, it, that he's... Like the way that Bomb Squad used to record was they'd just give everyone a fucking sampler or an instrument, they'd record all of it and then they'd chop it up and put it into tunes uh, with samples and things like that. And I, it feels to me on both of these records like Edge listened to that and started doing that with his own writing process. Right, sure. That might just be completely me on there. But... That is very good, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, so you like it, Krista? Oh, I do. I think this is actually a really good song. 
You like it, Dave? I, I love this okay. tune, yeah. And I, I'll, I'll be say, I'll say just, just to like apropos of nothing that's coming in the next song. I don't mind the falsetto here. Oh right, oh, right. okay. I like, uh, even though it's a very monotone delivery, and that's deliberately so. Um, I do like the delivery of it. I think it works because it's just like the pulse mm-hmm. um, that he's doing. It's this thing that just drives and drives. I just think that whenever Bono comes in and does that kind of weird falsetto stuff, it's like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't know what what this is adding to it. I love interweaving lead vocals. It's yeah. one of my favourite things in music. I think it's fucking brilliant. I think I do that here. I'm. I'm just want, want to check that you both like the song before I said. I think anyone who doesn't like this song is a piece of shit. <laughs> right. Okay. It's That's a benchmark for you. Fucking great. This song. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And again, you know, it's more. Look at this band who don't sound like this, sounding like this when right. they're massive and taking loads of fucking risks. And the results. I mean, in this case particularly, I think the results are amazing. It sounds quite nineties. I think if you were. You know, a twenty. Yeah, sure. If you're a twenty-year-old and you're used to listening to music that's made now, I think if you were to listen to this, you would go fucking out. It sounds like the nineties, but at the time, you know, it was fairly sort of like you say, craft work meets what was happening at mm-hmm. that point. Um, but it still doesn't detract from the fact that this is a fucking great song. It's a great song. Even if you were a twenty-year-old now, though, you would have to still admit that the Edge is a better rapper than Takeshi Six <laughs> <laughs> to kedgy 69 <laughs> um, lyrically on this one uh, there, there's a lot of stuff it's all don't stuff it's don't mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's some that are pretty clunky like mm-hmm. don't take it all on board don't fall on your sword just play another chord if you feel you're getting bored mm-hmm. that is a bit nonsense it's almost just like a, th- a four year old doing it but maybe that's part, part yeah, of the point I, of it that, I, I mean it's kind of I think that's sort of the point isn't it I mean the whole thing it's supposed to be I mean, I think the whole point, you know, like all these don't do this, don't do that, don't do that. And Bono going, I feel numb yeah. is I think it's supposed to be it's supposed to sort of be saying you get told so much what you shouldn't do that. Sure. And you can't do that. In the in the end, you just don't really you can't know. Do you've got no you get so much information about how to behave or what to think or mm. this and that coming at you all the time that ultimately you don't have any feeling at all. Yes, I think it's excellent. Really, really good. Mm. Yeah. Also, um, turns out whenever Bono was was young, he went to the very first mm. carnival he went to in Dublin. He still remembers it, um, even though he was, I think he was only about four at the time. It was over 50 years ago. He says it was an unforgettable fair. No, no, no. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> but it's your podcast, guys. You do what you want. But I was like, like Lars Ulrich's dad, I would just be like, <laughs> delete that. Do you know that he heard the album... Um, Original pirate oh, you material before Mike I've got Skinner. One of these as well. Before Mike Skinner had, uh, yeah, had come up with a title. He heard it when the streets had no name. Yeah, that's that's better. That you can't. I was saving that one of mine to later. Better. Well, I'm sorry, mate. I, <laughs> I, I thought it was just a shit joke that I could throw away. Say, God damn it! Yeah. It's not a competition, Krista. How many? How many more of these? Oh, do I've we got do? about ten. Yeah. Oh, you, you, you haven't been here before. <laughs> uh, I've got about ten. Yeah, whenever he was at that carnival, by the way, um, he tried his very first lollipop uh, and it blew his mind. He's been searching for that particular flavour ever since, but he still can't find what he's looking for. Oh, no. I was trying to get no. the, I was sort of, was yeah. it something to do with vertigo? No, 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 no. Okay, well, look, um, let's, <laughs> let's try and wash that taste out of our mouth, uh, go through the albums that were out at this time. 
this U2 album, it was only number one for one week, uh, the 11th of July, 1993. But I have put an extra two weeks onto the period we're looking at, because if I didn't do that, there would be literally no other stuff to talk about. Um, so I'm taking a three-week period of other things that were released. Okay. But in the week of release... The top 10 albums look like so. And yeah, f- feel free, Stephen, just to uh, give us any opinions you have I on will. any of these. I will. Don't you worry about that, mate. So number 10 is a new entry for Four Non Blondes with Bigger, Better, Faster, More. Oh, they had an album, did they? Apparently so. Well, there you go. good for them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, number nine, Barbara Streisand, Back to Broadway. Uh, we can all imagine what that sounds like. <laughs> yes, we can. Number eight is Sting, Ten Summoner's Tales. Isn't it weird how... The police are amazing and Sting's dreadful. <laughs> Sting always goes, I read, I saw something with Sting and he was going, well, you know, I wrote all the songs in the police, so really it was just my band. And it's like, well, if that's true, how come your solo material is so fucking dreadful <laughs> and the police are so brilliant? What? It seems weird. That, about, has, has Bono ever done solo stuff? Not really. No, no. there was that Miss Sarajevo oh, sure, thing that came thing. out, the passengers, but I think that was kind of them with um, with Brian Eno, wasn't yeah. it? It was like a collaborative no, no, thing, so wasn't. not really, no. Uh, well, okay, number seven is Michael Ball with Always. This is not a great week, is it? No, it's not. I mean, we had to do. It's, I mean, it's not, we, we had to do a Michael Ball album. I know. I've one. Listened uh, to you. Thankfully, this one wasn't it. Listening to it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, number six, REM, Automatic for the People. So finally, we, we hit some mm-hmm. some gold there. Hey. Um, and as far as I'm aware, you guys at Riot Act yeah. did a special on Automatic as well, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Um, you, so we fan. do. Uh, classic albums as part of our Patreon page where we pick our personal favourite records that we think we can justify as classic albums. Obviously, Automatic for the People, fairly easy. I think you're safe, Grant. Fairly yeah. easy to justify that as a as a classic album. But we did it as a double with Monster, actually. Oh, that's right. Which yes. is slightly more difficult to justify as a classic record. But yes. I'm willing to have that arm wrestle with, right. a kind of verbal arm wrestle with anyone who doesn't think it is. We've got that coming up. Monster, yeah. We've yeah we're gonna, that we're was my pick, actually. Renfrew was a little bit less sort of sure about putting Monster in. But right. for me, it's, I mean, you know, I think R.E.M. are one of those bands who, Again, kind of a bit like you two. That, that, that first kind of 20-year period of their career, I think, is pretty much perfect, I would say. Solid time. Yeah. Right. Uh, and Automatic for the People is, yeah, is the bullseye. Oh, it's wall-to-wall it's Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable record. Great stuff. Yeah, no, exactly. I'm sure the people who listen to us on here will have heard us mm. uh, talking about REMs, Automatic for the People, and Out of Time. But, uh, yeah, check out Riot Act, uh, their take on it as well for... Another gushing we praise. Will, yeah. we, we will li- there will be a link in the description. Oh, absolutely. So yeah, we'll, we can, we'll link we everything there, man. man. Cheers, lads. Number five, uh, you know, while we're talking about classic albums, Spin Doctors, Pocket Full of Kryptonite. <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? Spin Doctors and Four Non Fucking Doctors the same yeah. What is this? Purgatory. This is July 93. Um, um, can I just, just chuck in here? This might kind of undermine everything I say about the rest of the. <laughs> but I have to say. Little Miss Can't Be Wrong's all right, isn't it? <laughs> I'd say I can't even remember that song. I know I know the na- name of it. I cannot remember how it goes. And I'm fine I, with that. I know four Spin Doctor songs. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Jesus Christ. There are members of the Spin Doctors that know fewer Spin Doctor songs. <laughs> so obviously you got two princes, obviously. which is the big one. The, yeah, the, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. Yes. I actually think Little Miss Can't Be Wrong is all, is, oh, is all right. It's Jimmy kind Olsen's of fun- Blues. Jimmy Olsen's Blues, the Just other one. Came to my head. And then they had the disastrous... So the other podcast we do, Broken Records, where we look for the worst album ever. Uh-huh. This follow-up to this records yes i mean i've not listened to all of it but i remember the debut the, the lead single cleopatra's cat which oh, wow. is like seven Never minute jazz for, and that song what? is fucking 
unbearable. Wow. If you think this, if you think fucking Two Princes is bad, go and, I mean, I wouldn't Cleopatra's suggest go and go and listen to Cleopatra's Cat, but it's like, Cleopatra had a cat. Do, bit of, do, do, do. Oh, it's like, no. do what we do. Oh, it's fucking, fucking what? terrible. So, um, Krista, no. put it on. Oh, t- really? Dave, look, if you want to listen to Spin Doctors in your own, do it <laughs> in your own time, please. <laughs> uh, right, number four, Rod Stewart, unplugged and seated. What so, is going on? That's fuck. Yeah, that's uh, whatever. I, I, I did enjoy Rod, Rod Stewart going out and fixing his own potholes in the news. Just once, no. Basically, it made the national news that no one was fixing the potholes near his house, so he basically put a high vis on. And got some asphalt and went out and just and did it. Fixed the potholes in a community, wow. uh, which then prompted a response from the government, basically saying that it's not really on to go and fix your own potholes. Oh, I see. Because the standards, it was the whole thing was ludicrous. That's brilliant. I was not aware of this story. Wow, no, it. that's that's great. Well done, Rod. Check it out. Oh, I'd him. rather know that story than know Cleopatra's cat by Spin Doctors. I got to be honest. True. So. True. Thank you, David. Hopefully they will replace each other. Uh, number three uh, in the top ten, and this uh, potentially might divide Stephen from both of us, mm. is a new entry by Bjork. Debut. Fucking love Bjork, man. Rubbish. You are a bunch of mad fucks <laughs> for not liking Bjork. How dare you fucking shit Look, on man, me. I, I lived this through the 90s where... Every cunt I knew had a Bjork poster on the wall. And I was the only one then that was like, I don't like this. And I'm not, I, I've I've been through the hard. I do like some Bjork songs. Right. Right? Like yeah, she's got like Bjork four songs, good songs. But, but I do not buy in a fucking, the Bjork is a genius. Bjork is a genius. <laughs> Bjork is a genius. <laughs> Bjork is, like for me, Bjork is the, you take Kate Bush away. And Bjork is the greatest female solo artist ever, I think. Wow. Bjork is fucking Mariah Carey with fucking No, 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 icebergs. no. Dude, have you ever... Li- I, I'm going to say this, right? Bjork's got an album that came out in, two, what was it, 2010, 11, called Biophilia. And if you don't like that record, I would be staggered if you two don't like that record. Knowing is, that we don't like uh, any other Bjork Well, I, I, no, yeah. I think you do. I think you're just showing off, frankly. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> just trying to be contrarians, Wait. aren't you? Oh, um, Venus is a boy. Bunch of shit. It's not a terrible you, song. Are you mad? No. Um, Human behavior. Great song. There's so many really great good songs song. on that. Venus album. is a boy. Rubbish. Um, play dead. You like play dead? Play dead. Yeah, play but dead. she didn't really write that. David no, Arnold. What? Yeah, we gonna get? I mean, we can get all fucking technical. Blah blah blah. But that was a, that's a great song. I that's think a good that, like Debut's a great record. Yeah, not from me, mate. Not from me. I'm I'm very glad that it didn't make number one, and I had to go and re- revisit it. I'm fine with that. Well, I mean, shame on both of you, frankly. Oh. Biophilia by Bjork is absolutely 10 out of 10. That is, that's her best album. It's fucking Fair enough. incredible. Fair enough. I will. Uh... You do like it. You do like it. Like, I'm not even going to. You don't have to listen to it, but just. I'll just say you, that I do. You like it. Yeah. No <laughs> do that. Done. It's amazing. I'll listen to it, mate. I'll, I'll listen to it and report back. Mm. Uh, number two uh, is Jamiroquai uh, with Emergency on Planet Earth, which was the last uh, episode that we did. Uh, it's dropped down to number two. I did listen to that episode. I tell you, your man had a little pop at you two at the end, didn't he? Uh, your man oh, he did. Uh, he Phil Lucas, at, yeah. He had a little pop at you two. I was like, I tell you what, mate, if you, you, you seem to only <laughs> like Jamiroquai. That's a weird hill to die on, isn't it? <laughs> slagging, off you, slagging off you two. Slagging off Ace of Base, you two, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's not like anything but to only like Jamiroquai. Jamiroquai. Very, very niche. He, he, niche. He, he does really mainly only like Jamiroquai and jazz. Yeah. 
And yeah, songs from the 20s. And songs from the yeah. 20s, yeah. I got no beef for Jamiroquai particularly, by the way, but no, you know. I don't either. I mean, the whole episode would be talking my, my opinions about it, though. So. Quite. Yeah. Uh, so that's top 10. Um, there are just a couple of other albums that were released in, in, like I say, the three week period. So we're looking at the period of like July 11th to the end of July, so the, to the 31st. Um, Us Three released Hand on the Torch. Um, the three who did Cantaloupe, Flip Fantasia. Mm-hmm. I uh, know the name, but I don't really uh, know who they uh, are. They were the ones who, uh, the, they released that single, Cantaloupe. Um, you'll know, can, you'll and, know Cantaloupe, uh, you'll have heard it and you'll be like, oh, it's them. Yeah. Mm. And then because of that, they were basically allowed access to the entire Blue Note archive to sample whatever they wanted because they were using a lot of jazz samples and stuff. Oh, uh, and right. they were along, uh, along those lines. Never did anything as good as that single ever again. That's the way it goes. You, you, you hit once. And then you go, all right, now uh, let's put out 17 other ones that are a bit worse than this. <laughs> and yeah, no one cares. Uh, Soul Asylum released Grave Dancers Union. Only got to number 54, but that was out at this point. That is the one with Runaway Train on. I'm assuming it, it is. 93, yeah. that would yeah. be the right time. So that must be that one. I never really paid any attention to Soul Asylum, to be perfectly honest. So I know nothing about that. No. They, they strike me as a bit of a lemonhead sort of thing to me. I, I okay. always thought well, I just didn't immediately didn't go for it and it just ignored it forever. But you're, do you remember that single coming out? Oh, I remember that remember single coming single, out yeah, and it being on the radio a lot and the yeah, video sure. was nice, wasn't it? Catherine Wheel released Chrome. Uh, got to number 58. That's what uh, kind of on the more indie side of things. Yeah. But the big one that I've got, got to number four, and I'm gutted that this didn't uh, get to number one because we could have done uh, a big thing on it. I'm pretty sure you've already done an entire episode on this, Stephen. Uh, Siamese Dream by Smashing Pumpkins. Yes, we have done a, a classic album on Siamese Dream. I and saw a, a tweet of yours just today. today. Yeah, weirdly. Yeah, uh, Someone had said, what's the best Siamese, uh, Smashing Pumpkins album? And you've put this forward as the best. I think it is. Yeah, I think it for me, it is definitely the best Smashing Pumpkins album. I think possibly their best and most interesting material mm-hmm. is on Melancholy. Oh, right. But okay. I think Melancholy is a double album, difficult with a double bloated. album. It's one of, it is bloated, but at the same time, I would take it um, overall. I just think it's a bit more of an undertaking. It doesn't hit as often. I think it hits high, maybe hits, oh, fucking hell. I mean, with a song like Disarm on Siamese Dream, can mm. you really say anything hits better than that? Not really. But, um, yeah, I mean, this is a fantastic It's magnificent. Record. It's absolutely, absolutely magnificent. brilliant. And, you know, the Pumpkins, the, the last record they released last year was pathetic. Oh, but, I haven't even listened. Uh, yeah, really bad. And they've released some pretty awful albums over the years. But yeah. that first run of, I'm even going to put in... Uh, a Door. A Door, I think is oh, right, good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, Gish is uh, one of my favourite albums of the 90s, just really? period. I think it's incredible. And so I would put that above... Um, Siamese Dream in terms of uh, favourite Pumpkins albums for me. Mm. I think it's fucking brilliant. But that also meant whenever this album was coming out, I was very nervous. I was like, oh God, I hope this is good. But as soon as I heard kind of even just the opening drum of Cherry of Rock, so great. I was like, all right, okay, yeah, this is going to be fun. Yeah. And it did. It absolutely blew me away because it's so much better production on it. It's, you know, it's crisper, it's cleaner. It's got beautiful guitar sounds on it. Mm. It's got Jimmy Chamberlain drumming like a demon on on silver fucking geek usa and stuff like that where he just gets to let rip it blew me away 
Mm. I loved this album when it came out. I played it over and over and over. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it's actually yeah, the day we record. I think it's, it's, it's Billy Corgan's birthday today. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I think that's why it was up. Yeah. Happy birthday, Billy Corgan. Happy birthday, Billy. I interviewed Billy Corgan once and he was really weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> Mate, you probably don't want to say too <laughs> much else right. but yeah. for, for legal reasons. But <laughs> I've heard he's... Uh, but I've heard that he's just a prick is what it is. No, the thing is, he's not like, well, he wasn't a prick to me. Okay. He was actually a very nice man. He was just a bit weird. They were, okay. Well, mm. you don't get to be. They all were like all of the people from that kind of grunge scene that I've interviewed. Yeah. Have been a bit weird. Oh, right. Scott Wayland, God rest his soul. And I absolutely love Stone Temple Pilots, but he was the weird, one of the weirdest people. I've ever well, was he also on drugs? Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I would have thought knows? so. I was going to say, it's, it's almost like fucking spending some time on heroin will make you weird. <laughs> Fuck you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dave, though, Smashing Pumpkins, Sammy's Dream. My favourite. Right, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think whether your favourite is Gish or Siamese Dream kind of depends on which one you heard first. Fair, yeah. To a, to a greater extent, um, you know, Siamese Dream is... It's Black Sunday to uh, Cypress Hill self-titled, mm-hmm. isn't it, really? In the it's never mind to Bleach. Yeah, exactly that, you know. I mean, I, I don't think it's quite as stark as Nevermind, as, as Bleach to Nevermind. But, mm. um, like, you know, whereas... I think... You know, like I really love the first Cypress Hill album, and that's the hill I'll die on every day. Whereas loads of people will say Black Sunday is the better record because it's better produced, it's the popular record. It's kind mm. of they've, they've kind of taken the edges off of a load of the stuff, uh, and that's kind of why I dislike it. And I get the impression with you know the same with Gish and Siamese. Not very possible. Know, if, you, if you like the the kind of the slightly spikier end, the slightly more you know. But it's it's brilliant. Yeah, but it, I mean they're, they're both fucking great records. Do you know what I mean? I'm not gonna I'm not not gonna argue the toss between them too much. Um, yeah, and I, I think cool. I think both of those records are miles ahead of anything else they ever did. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. I, to me, Melancholy was a step backwards or a step down for me because it was too wanky. Um, oh, well. But that's because I was such a fan of Gish and Siamese Dream. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, that was such a massive massive record like it was so big so uh, yeah i got a lot of love for that all right okay well that's all your albums anyway that's where we were uh at this point in 1993 yeah we've gone all the way from you know michael ball and spin doctors through to smashing pumpkins siamese dream what a week what a week what a week <laughs> let's crack on with this motherfucker then right we cool okay okay so track number 4 is uh, another single, Lemon. And this was the single that was released in the States and uh, Australia and Japan, but not in the UK. But it was obviously it was played on the radio and stuff. Mm. I remember this very well being yeah. all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Right, before I look, this fucking falsetto, I can't, I can't get past it. No, cannot get past it. It, it, it just it makes my mind hurt. Right. Okay. Well, you see, I'm the same. I remember this. In fact, I I don't remember hearing numb at the time, although I probably did. I remember hearing this absolutely, and this is the one that made me go, "Oh, this album's like this." I don't care because I think this is awful. Really? I do. I, I, this really annoys the piss. I'll come on, de- fucking defend this one, Stephen. Go on. Well, <laughs> it's uh, a tribute to his his dead mum, isn't it? Yep, so, it is indeed. So there's that. So you both already look quite mean <laughs> guys yep. for that. Um, I didn't fucking kill her, mate. 
That's a that's a, a game of Cluedo that we don't <laughs> need to play, isn't it? <laughs> it was Krista in Ireland with, with his poisonous thing. penis yeah. and Bono's mum. Um, look, I, I I I think it's the weakest of the four songs that we've spoken about okay. thus far. Yeah. Okay, I think the sentiment is lovely. I think the just general overall dreaminess of it becomes quite seductive the more you listen to it yeah so at this point i've become quite used to it but it was a bit of a a, an early meme a bit of a joke like i can't sort of that go on and make a cry it is a bit funny like you can't say it's not funny because it kind of is but again i think bono doing a falsetto and leaning into that particularly within the subject matter I mean, it is a strange choice because, like you said, the subject matter, um, for people who are not sure, the lemon bit of it um, is because Bono was sent some footage of uh, his his mum, who died when he was 14, mm-hmm. uh, an o- old Super 8 footage where she was wearing a lemon-coloured dress yeah. and looking, obviously, really kind of happy. This and piano is fucking awesome, by the way, just as an aside. I think this okay. is a beautiful piano part. Um, but... To do for, so for it to be what is supposed to be a touching tribute, and it's like him going, "Oh, this is so nice to have this uh, this memory," because he, mm. he he has said in interviews that he found it hard to really remember what uh, she was like when growing up after she died, because he didn't. There weren't a lot of photographs in the house of her, and it, she wasn't talked about that much. So for this to kind of reappear is a lovely thing for him. It's really nice, and so it. It absolutely baffles me why he's decided to do this, what I would say is like a piss-take voice. It, he calls it his fat lady voice. It's one of his personas. Mm. To do this weird thing, um, which is, which should be a lovely tribute to his mum. I don't get it. It sounds like I a just... Mighty Boosh character. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, it's an, it's a, yeah, it, it's, I think on, on paper... Mm. It is an it's a, an unusual stylistic decision that he's made there. Yeah. Again, I think it's a lot of this record is about experimentation and ergo yeah, yeah. why this has happened. I think there's maybe a sort of sense of euphoria about doing it in that type of voice. Maybe he thought it was going to make it seem more kind of elegiac and right. Yes. Know, beautiful. Maybe. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. He would have had the opportunity to hear it after he sung it and go. <laughs> mm. Oh no, oh, maybe mate. not though, wouldn't he? Do you know what I mean? Whatever yeah. his intention was, he must have been able to hear it and go, oh no, it's a, just a bit weird, isn't it? It is kind of weird, but this album's kind of weird. You know, I do think this album mm. is kind of weird. And I think it's it's the thing that everybody remembers about the song, obviously. But I think there's other mm. things within the song. I think the backing vocals are really good. I mentioned that piano, I think is great. Adam right. Clayton's bass line, I think is brilliant. I think it's slight, uh, well, you know, obviously you guys think it more than slightly detracts, but I think it does slightly detract from the song overall, which I think is actually uh, a pretty good song. Uh, I, I do, okay. uh, as well, just to, just to fucking qualify I do think there are some really nice little bits in the song as well that piano that you mentioned is really good and I do like the overall feel of it but the the, the problem for me is it's it's just it's a delicious cake with a turd on it and you know no matter how delicious the cake is you're not eating it when someone's done a shit on it I see what you're saying about uh, like for example the piano bit it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is quite nice no problem with that but I don't like the guitar sound either I don't like that that sort of shimmering guitar thing that they're doing um, and so that and the vocals, and I, I think it's a very weak tune as well. Yeah, this this does not do it for me at all. Don't like this one one bit. Weak lemon drink. Yes, quite, <laughs> quite. 
Uh, like I say, I absolutely do like the sentiment behind it. I think it's a lovely sentiment. And I think it is uh, a very important thing uh, to to have physical things that you can look at to mm. evoke memories. I think yeah, that's a massive thing. I remember uh, there's a line in Simon and Garfunkel's bookends, which I remember hearing. I think it was because it was on a Wonder Years episode back when I was you know, 12 or 13. And it's uh, long ago, it must be, I have a photograph, preserve your memories, they're all that's left you. And I was like, that's, that's really nice because it is a sort of thing you could forget. You could forget exactly, you know, entirely what someone sounds like, what, what, what sort of their mannerisms were. If you don't I'll have these you, things, I was I was chatting with our good friend Chris about this the other, like, well, not the other day, but a little while ago. But that's, you yeah. know, obviously, like, I lost my dad last year, and you know, like, I, I found a video the other day and heard him talking in the video. Oh wow! And 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 that whole thing of like how quickly you get, like, you kind of someone whose voice you've been used to hearing your entire life, and then you hear it again. Mm-hmm. And it's so fucking utterly evocative, you know, because it's you kind of you can always you can always see pictures, right? You, I mean, in, in the world, right? That sure, we yeah, live in. yeah. And you, and, and, and I've, you know, I still, I, you know, I still regularly see pictures of my dad. Cause I've got a lot of pictures of him on my phone. I've got pictures of him around the house. But then mm-hmm. just hearing his voice the other day, it was like, man, it hit me harder, yeah, much harder mm-hmm. than I was, I was expecting. So yeah, I'm like, I'm not totally not shitting on the sentiment behind this song at all you know that's, mm, yeah, you'd have to be an absolute arsehole to do so or an edge lord um, hey! <laughs> oh Dear yeah me. so i didn't yeah didn't, didn't <laughs> oh, put that together just even doing it oh man well there we go yeah. I was just, i'm just naturally that good at putting the pieces together anyway so the other thing that i remember about this song at the time was that there were uh, like 50 different remixes of it yeah uh, this was the point where they were uh, you know, fully going, we are into dance culture, embracing it. They had a Perfecto mix, a David Morales mix, Flood did a mix. It was, you know, a what? Every CD single had eight different mixes on it. And it was because it was of this song was the one that uh, I remember it mostly. I was like, Jesus Christ, they are rinsing this song I don't like. And it was like everywhere, mm-hmm. I, you know. All right. Do you happen to like trance? And I'm like, not particularly. No, no, here's an eight-minute version for you. Yeah. You know, it was, it was that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's the weakest moment so far. Yeah, definitely. no, indeed. I, w- I would go along with that. But Okay, so that was track number four. So we're coming up on at the halfway point here. And so track five is Stay Far Away So Close. Sounds, sounds a lot like you too, doesn't it? This one. Yeah, indeed. This is the first thing that struck me. Yeah. Yeah. This is the most you two that we've heard so far, really, isn't it? It is. Yeah. But but I think this is the type of thing they do so very well. This kind of down tempo melancholia. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like down tempo melancholia lyrics that kind of on the edge of profundity and pretension, you know. Give Bono a bit of space so we can get mildly histrionic in the chorus. I, I, yeah, job done, really. I think it's a great song, personally. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think it's absolutely brilliant, this song. I think yeah. it's one of the... I would say this, along with All I Want Is You, is... They're the, they're the two underrated... That's my favourite U2 song. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think when people talk about With or Without You and One, both of which I think are brilliant, if somewhat overplayed songs, mm. um, if you like the idea of them, but you think you've heard them too many times, these those two songs would be the 
the ones that I go, well, then you can listen to this. I think this is, again, it's brilliant. And the sentiment of the song, it being, um, yeah, being a kind of an abusive relationship is... You know, they, they deal with these big things a lot. And some people say, oh, you know, they kind of trample all over them by making them do schmaltzy and whatever. But when they get it right, like like here, mm-hmm. they're a fucking excellent band. And, mm. you know, people can go, oh, you know, uh, it's a ballad and, oh, it's sort of chart, sort of bait and all this stuff. But ultimately, if you don't want to try and be manipulated by that stuff, you can kind of fold your arms and not allow yourself to be manipulated by it. But mm-hmm. okay. uh, but. I just think it's better. To, it's more your life's more enjoyable to go with it. Frankly, I think this song's fucking great. Yeah, no, I I think if you've you know, like you say, if you like any of the the YouTube's previous stuff where they do this sort of thing, mm. you can't not like this. This is fantastic. It's yeah. such a good song. His voice works brilliantly on this as well. Uh, he's doing all those classic Bono U two things with with the voice. Mm. Really pretty, pretty backing, um, and. You got the soaring chorus that it goes into. I, this is this is my favourite so far, definitely on this album. I think this is absolute class. Me too. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was the background on this one is that uh, Vim Vendors, the the film director, came to them and said, Look, uh, "Can you write me a song for this film that I'm doing, Far Away So Close?" Which was about angels who come to Earth and. They decide they want to stay, but they have to become mortal to stay. So it's that sort of stuff. Um, the film apparently wasn't particularly good, uh, but this song that they uh, wrote for it—it was—it was, no, oh, just mentioning Belfast in a song. Come on, they had the bare bones of it during Acting Baby, but they filled it out for the film, and it was uh, eventually this was nominated for best. Uh, original song at the 1994 Golden Globes because it is it's a great great tune it lost to Streets of Philadelphia so fair enough fair Fair enough Uh, what I will tell you though is that uh, Bono apparently he doesn't mind spelling the word favour in either the British or the American way he can do it with or without you brilliant that's a good that is a good one that is actually the best one so far oh no absolutely I was saving that yeah 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 yeah, Yeah, I was getting rid of the shit ones I say that. Yeah, there's more to come. Right, uh, let's get into track number six uh, then, which is Daddy's Gonna Pay For Your Crashed Car. And uh, we're starting off with a sample of a Russian folk song called There's a Rock on the Volga, which apparently was one of Lennon's favourite songs. It was one of Stalin's, wasn't it? Was it Stalin? I thought it was Stalin, oh, yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'm just Into this dumb strong. I do like this drum beat. I like the effect they've got on the drums there. Massive. It sounds like bat dance. No, this is a great. This is a proper one. You could sample this for you know a massive hip hop tune, or even like you know if it was 1997, this would be a big big beat tune. This yeah. drums, big reverberation. Um, and yeah, this is the one that is about addiction and how it affects you and how it takes control of you that sort of stuff I was excited to get to this song because I think this song is the best song on the record whoa what whoa I think it's fucking awesome this song wow I love it Jesus really I think it's amazing would you would you have said that back in 93 do you think 
Would I say it back in 93? Did it instantly hit you as, oh God, this is amazing? Or was it one that after years and years and years of listening? It was, I felt similarly to kind of how I felt about with Lemon really, where I was like, what in the actual fuck is this? But then Mm. I was like, like you say, the beat is so massive. Mm -hmm. I think it's something really slinky and kind of oily and greasy about Bonald Bonald about Bono's vocal on it and Adam Clayton again like I'm an absolute sucker for Adam Clayton and I think his bass line that little kind of slightly those little tiny kind of popping bass runs that he does I think is is fucking brilliant and it's just I think it's it might be the song that encapsulates the weird period of U2 that kind of 91 through to 97 98 period Mm. I think this kind of encapsulates everything that I loved about them being weird at this period oh interesting okay yeah right see I, I agree with a lot of what you just said but I think this song's an interesting diversion that outstays its welcome rather than a dyed-in-the-wall classic. I think there's loads of interesting ideas in it, and I like loads of the stuff in the production, but the song itself just locks itself into one thing and does that the whole way through. I think it kind of blows some of its ideas rather than exploits them fully. I think it's decent, but I don't think it's what it could have been. Right. Um, I think that once that big drum intro breaks into the rest of the song, I think it becomes a big nothing song to me. Uh, I think that is great, but then the rest of it doesn't do anything for me at all. And I think the chorus is weak. This one is, that, that, that is gonna pray for you, Christ. It really doesn't do it for me. I think that's a really nice uh, metaphor that he's using mm. because it's about addiction. And he uh, Bono has said it's... Um, probably more about heroin the edge has said it's just addiction in general yeah but the fact that you know, daddy's going to pay for your crash car daddy being the thing that you're addicted to so let's say heroin um and if you're having you know a shit time if something's gone very wrong in your life do a bit of heroin and everything's okay again it makes it right so it's paying for the, the shit that you've just gone through i really like that as a metaphor but Tune wise, doesn't do it for me one bit. Wow. Okay. It, yeah. For me, for me, it sounds like it sounds like an outtake or a B side, but like one with some interesting ideas. What I think we've got a full range of opinions here. Like, like <laughs> the green, we've got one, green, five, and ten. The green, the the green, the gold, and the white in the Irish oh, flag. Look at that! Oh, how, how apt this is, St. Patrick's. Oh, to be sure, you two be sure. Uh, right, well, shall we move straight on to the next song? Yeah, go on. Some days are better than others. What, Sundays? Sunday, bloody Sunday. Some days, bloody Sundays are better than others. Days. Yeah. Okay. So, it's... Interesting. Apparent to me, as is maybe true of a lot of U2 albums... That Adam Clayton's getting man of the match from this album, right? Oh, really? Yeah, I think so. Really? And you would say that happens quite a lot? I think that's... Mm. I think he's often my favourite thing about a lot of what you two do. Okay, right. Um, I've been six for six so far in terms of thumbs up. If it's straight thumbs up or thumbs down, I'm six for six so far. This is the first noticeable dip in the record I would say oh right okay 
Okay. This song is dis- disjointed as fuck. Like the the verse and the chorus do not match up. They could be different songs. Right. Listen. Uh, different song. And mm. I, I think I think this chorus is fine. I think it's okay. Um, but it's a bit of a non-event overall. I think it's it, it, it's passed me by. There was an awful lot of just stuff that passed me by on the first couple of listens of this album. Right, yeah, yeah. And this was definitely one of the, the main offenders. First of all, it's the same vocal trick as Numb. It's the same thing where you start each sentence with with uh, with the same kind of preposition, basically. Right. Whereas, it, it, whereas in Numb, it's don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. In this one, it's some days, some days, some days. Oh, some days are this, right. some days, yeah. Right. And I, and I think I think it's too close to do it twice in one album. Uh, I think there's some shockingly lazy lyrics in this. Song. Oh, mate, I there's mean, a like, great one. What have you picked out? Oh, I mean, I've, I, I, don't, I didn't actually write one down, which is stupid of me. I mean, are, um, you, are you thinking of some days are slippy, other days are sloppy, some days you can't stand the sight of a puppy? Yeah, I mean, that's terrible, isn't it? That's, wow. I mean, that's so bad. Yeah, that's pretty bad, that. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, you know, the reason why this album is not the Joshua Tree or <laughs> the Unforgettable Fire is because of songs like this. And, I, you know, right, like I sure. say, even Lemon, I'm like going to back Lemon. Yeah. But I, this is, this is not a great song. It's an album. It's a track seven and it's the difference between yeah. a classic album. For me, this is where right. you go, is this a classic album? It's probably not a classic album. What I will say about this record though, what I will say about it, about this particular song is that as soon as you start thinking about the guitar solo, as just a really long strained fart, it becomes immediately much better. <laughs> like, like put that guitar solo on. It just sounds like someone really straining a fart out. Oh yeah, there we go. I see. <laughs> <laughs> a kazoo fart. <laughs> uh, that, imagine this face. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is another one of the ones where if you are thinking of this as an EP that became an album I might have left it as an EP because of the spot just like leave this. this one off yeah mm. yeah and th- like we were talking about uh, Hold Me Thrill Me Kiss Me Kill Me they had that ready to go on this and decided to leave it off this album yeah. and instead put it out on the Batman Forever soundtrack two years down the line if they had that but they decided to put one like this on I don't understand the reasoning because I, that is a banger that song I think that was the right idea. decision uh, that is a right. It wouldn't have fitted on this record. Oh, maybe well. too poppy. What does fit on this record, though? I mean, that's the thing about this record is it is it's incredibly disjointed and it's incredibly vast and it's stylistically all over the place. I think you could have whacked it somewhere, and I think that's the kind of the it's either the the problem or the strength of the record, depending mm. on if you're a glass half full or empty sort of person. So I think they could have whacked Hold Me Through Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me on this record, just not on track seven where it would get lost forever. But what I will tell you is that... Um, oh, no. You two, they wrote a song that was inspired by the actor brothers from uh, from White Chicks. Um, but the, the, in this song, they would only talk in like riddles and puzzles. Uh, they were Mysterians, Wayans. Oh, my God. Oh my goodness me! No, no. Not even a big enough song That's... to get a pun. Is this <laughs> mysterious Wayans? Yeah, I know. I know. Don't say <laughs> <That's> it again. <laughs> no, say it again, Krista, and I'll see if uh, I get it the, the third time. Apparently, Bono uh, is really into um, topography and cartography. He loves looking at maps, hmm. and he worked out. Uh, he was looking at a map of uh, of New York, and he worked out that the stretch between the Upper West Side and Washington Heights lies about twenty degrees of vertical when you look at it. That's the angle of Harlem. 
Is that right? Is that true? Mm, is it? Yeah. That's true. Yeah, that's a fact. That's okay. absolutely straight. Start, to know, I'm going to start like, treating these <laughs> just these, facts. as facts. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! All right. Look. I mean, uh, to be fair, it's a lot easier than treating them as jokes. <laughs> 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 just, just easier on the brain. Yeah. Uh, shall we do the singles then? Yeah. <laughs> Get out of this mire I've put this in. So. The top 10 singles. Number 10 uh, is off, presumably that Rod Stewart album that we've had. is Rod Stewart's Have I Told You Lately, um, which is not going to be any good. If I told you lately, there's a pothole in my <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> But dear council, have I told you lately? <laughs> Yours aggrieved of Scotland. Yeah. Uh, number nine is Michael Jackson with Will You Be There, which I'm assuming is still one of the ones off Dangerous. Whenever we did yeah. that, we were still I releasing remember. singles off that. I can't even remember that song. No, I, I've been a long time since I listened to Dangerous in full, so... Yeah, I, I'm assuming because I know that he was, obviously, with Michael Jackson albums, he released eight singles, and mm. I think it was stretching over two years. Uh, number eight in the top ten is UB40 with I Can't Help Falling In Love With You. Dear Christ almighty. Bought that on seven inch single. Dear me. Oh, Jesus Christ, did, did you really? Yeah, sorry about that, everyone. Yeah, well, no, at least you've apologised. Yeah, it's uh, yep. not good. Number seven, uh, Gloria Gaynor, I Will Survive 1993, so re-release of that. Mm-hmm. Number six is M People with One Night in Heaven, which we first saw last week in the top ten, um, and is really quite dreadful. Yeah, bad. Very bad. Uh, so, right, the first new entry we've got, is this one? Oh, here they are. Indeed. So <laughs> yeah, no. again, Fall on Blondes. What's up? Yes. And so this is the this is the big single. Uh, like I said, it's got to number. This is at number five. New entry at five. And I do remember this and going. Oh, this is this is not for me either. I, I've nothing against a, a, a massive histrionic female vocal, but this was almost parody. I remember thinking. Yeah, it's not aged well, I yeah. think, this song. I mean, I think it maybe didn't age well. It aged quite badly about 45 minutes before <laughs> it was recorded. <laughs> Who Who's the uh, the woman that's in this band that's a massive songwriter? I can't remember her name, but she like writes songs for everyone these I, days. No idea. Is it a person that, that wrote, like, Aerosmith? Yeah, is it Diane yeah. Warren? Uh, yeah, I feel like it was someone like that. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. I, I know nothing about this band other than this song. Oh, no, well, that's all you need to know. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, I bet you, especially in America, I bet you this made them a ton of money because this would have oh, yeah, been all sure. over the radio at that mm. time. Um, but, yeah, it's, no, it's, it is what it is, really. Uh, number four uh, we've seen before is Shackademus and Pliers with Tease Me. Banger. Bang up. Oh, it, it is awful. It, it's like <laughs> really just terrible song, but it's like, fuck it, that's catchy. They sampled a cat in that song, haven't they? What? Just tease me, tease what? me, tease me, tease me. And it goes, meow. <laughs> Till I lose control. Well, it does definitely go and... There, there's uh, I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, number three, Hadaway, What is Love, mm-hmm. which again, we've seen before. Uh, number two, Gabrielle with Dreams, which I think was number one in the last one. Uh, but number one, new entry at number one. And I suspect you'll both get this. Linda Perry, but away for the Oh, it's Prey. Linda, it is Prey. Yes. Straight away, mate. Oh, mate, I love Ooh. Take That. I'm a love Take That. Take that, Prey. Fair play, mate. I'm impressed. That was like a a one note. I've got massive delay again. Uh, right, nothing we can do about that, mate. Are you just giving Stephen the songs first, or like, like I can't? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's one of the few songs from the uh, the early early years that take that still play live. 
So, oh, right. Well, um, well, I'm trying to think what the other ones are. Um, could it be magic? It only oh, well, they don't minute. do them? Well, no, nah, not really. Oh, right. No. Oh, that, I think that's a good tune as well. Oh, it is, but These yeah. are big, yeah, yeah. big pop hits. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's look at other stuff from the time period. Some of these I'll play, some I won't. Uh, Jesus Jones released Zeros and Ones, uh, got to number 30, which was their kind of, their post, post-big post period, post-peak Jesus Jones. It was when they went a little bit strange and a lot of their old fans were like, don't care anymore, moved on. And that was one of those ones. Yeah, never really listened to them at all. Not for you. I have no idea about them at all, really. Right. This next one, though, Stephen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave and Stephen, I'm sure we'll both get this. Was Blur? What's the name of the song? Yes, it is. It's um, Blur. Country House. No, it's not country that's house. later. It's uh, it's got a C. Uh, it begins with a C. Chemical words. World. Chemical world. Chemical world. Chemical that's world. I've not this chemical for ages. World. Absolutely. Off modern life is rubbish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this album, I remember it being out, but I also remember going, "All right, no, that's not for me anymore." Because I just really liked the Leisure Era Blur at this point, um, and this was there. This was them changing it into something new. Yeah, I mean, look, I know I'm going to be the odd man out here, but again, when I speak about how important you two were, Park Life by Blur is an incredibly important album in my life. Is that okay? Yep. Uh, very, very important. Um, oh. it, it, it took me quite a while to even go back pre Park Life because oh, I kind of okay. got Park Life and then, Great you know, Escape. The Great Escape happened and I was like, yeah, Blur. And then, you know, I sort of discovered the Dillinger Escape Plan and wasn't right, really sure. interested <laughs> in, in that stuff. It's a little but, bit different. Um, I'm going to say to you when when we do our episode on Park Life, don't don't listen to it. Or you probably won't. You probably I'll won't come. I am happy to come on and do Park Life and oh. and and uh, defend defend it. Park yeah. Life. I've had to do it with Renfrey. We did we did Park Life for the classic album. Yeah. Renfrey fucking hates it. Stupid bastard. <laughs> Shout out to Renfrey, who's taking a lot of flack because he's not here. <laughs> yeah, all right. Yeah, I mean, he talked to me about Muse for three hours a couple of all days. Right. Uh, bless him. Yeah. Bless him. Uh, so, yeah, Chemical World got to number 28. Uh, then this one got to number 16. This is uh, Sunflower by Paul Weller. Yes, it is. Absolutely, Sunflower. Um, off the Wildwood album, which was massive for him at the time. Yeah. Yeah, and one of his kind of first resurgences after... His '80s stuff. After that, yeah, I, I, he, he was suddenly, you know, in in the indie spotlight again, at least. Yeah, I mean, my dad's the jam of my dad's favorite band. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I quite like Style Council. I, I wasn't. I heard this and I thought this is good. I Stanley Road that comes after this. I fucking absolutely love that record. But yeah, like, oh, I, I see. I right. have mad a lot of like loads of love for Paul Weller solo stuff. But I think Wildwood's all right, and I think Stanley Road's proper brilliant. So yeah, ah, good song. Okay. There. I like it because I think I think Wildwood is has got some really good songs on it mm. and i think this i think sunflower is, is a gorgeous little tune it took a remix of it for me to get it, it there was like a oh, yeah. um a lynch mob not lynch mob but a lynch mob remix that came with the nme and it was just like oh right yeah, this is very cool just took that little riff mm. i was like that's really nice um but but i must admit by the time stanley road came around i thought it was very middle of the road again i thought that then he'd just gone to sort of more pedestrian shit but I think this is lovely. Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't argue with that, but I do think there's some, yeah, there's great, like, he's a, just a very, very good songwriter, isn't he? Yeah, that's, that's entirely fair. Uh, this next one, I mean, it says immediately what the song is called, but if you can remember who it's by. I want 
So it's called I Want You. Is this Utah Saints? Yes, it is. Straight up, Utah Saints. I like yeah. that. Yeah, it's a good album, this. <laughs> Fuck, I do really like Utah Saints. I don't remember what the song's called. I mean, it's, it's called I Want You. I Want You. It literally right, is right. just, yeah. that's all it is. I Want You. Yeah. Well, wow, fair play. Mm. Yep. Uh, this is fun. This was obviously kind of after the big ones, after uh, the, the Eurythmics and the Kate Bush sample ones. Yeah. This is more just them, I guess. But yeah, it's a lot of fun. Mm. They were very silly fun. I like they they did a good uh, remix of a, a Bring Me the Horizon song about did two thousand and nine. Fucking hell! Yeah, still alive in two thousand and nine. My God! Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, that got to number 25 um, PJ Harvey released Man Size which got to number 42 brilliant uh, Mega City 4 put out Wallflower which was uh, uh, got to number 69 R.E.M. released Night Swimming only got to number 27 on that which I think is probably my well one of my favourite songs on that album and easily think... easily like one of my favourite singles off that album it only yeah. got to number 27 it's my favourite song on that album actually I think oh, Try yeah. Not To Breathe is my favourite song oh, it's it's incredible um, New Model Army released Living In The Rose never heard it in my life mm-hmm. oh here's one it got to number 22 and we've discussed it on here before Oh, La Tristessa by the Manix. Yes, indeed. First four Manix albums. If they'd split up after four albums, they'd have been the greatest band that ever existed, <laughs> I think. <laughs> that is such a good take on that, yeah. <laughs> indeed. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've said so many times on here that they, they just lost it at some point. I would just like to say for the record on these singles things that uh, Stephen's guessing them before the song has started to play on my end of this <laughs> recording. I'm that good. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't have got that song anyway, but... Right, what, what I'll do is I will, uh, I'll start your one like a second before just, just to see how if it works out that way. In fact, like, okay, let's, let's try it with this one. Don't know if this was a re-release. It only got to number 32 at this point. Were you trying to get crazy with this scene? It was uh, Cypress Hill, Insane in the Brain. Yes, indeed. I, uh... Yes, Insane in the Brain. I recently did a feature for Metal Hammer magazine on the story behind this song with Sendog. The story behind the song? All right. Yeah. Uh, interviewed Sendog about it. Shit! Yeah. And he can't remember very much about it. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Can't possibly imagine. Mm. Wow. Wow. What's he like? Is he cool? I bet he was chuffed to be interviewed, though. Fucking hell, first time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he was like the only one we could get, obviously. Um, but yeah, no, he was. A, he's a really nice man. Oh, fair play. Yeah, he was really good. He nice good. one. Yeah. Uh, he's literally the Andrew Ridgely of hip hop. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so that got to number thirty-two, and I can't remember if we saw it in a previous time where it got to like number seventy-four or something on import. But this was its proper release, got to 32. And then the last one that I've, I've made a little note of, only got to number 55, is this one. Passing me by the far side. Yeah, lovely song. Yeah, this is a big tune. And I'll be honest, I'm surprised it even got to number 55. I, I wouldn't have thought this would have charted at all. I'm not even sure I know this song. I know the far side a, a bit, but I don't oh, right. even know if I know uh, this song. Well, when it, cut, hold on, when it comes in here... This is one of my top five hip-hop songs of all time. Mm. Ring a bell? A little bit. Yeah, a little yeah. bit, actually. Now the the um, the verse is coming. Yeah. Well, well no, that, that's, that's a great little tune. Um, and rounds off a decent enough batch of singles, I think. Uh, you know, a shitty top ten. 
full of M people and Shaka names and pliers, but some some interesting stuff in the other other releases. Yeah, for sure. Nah, that's good, man. It's good. Uh, but it does bring us to the last three songs on the U2 Zeropa album. So let's get into that, I guess. Finish it all off. Number eight is called First Time. Now, I'll tell you something interesting about this song. Yes. When I started listening back to this, I went, I don't fucking remember it. I remembered every other song on this record. I, I don't remember this one. I don't remember it at all. And I remembered why. Because I didn't have an original of this. I only had a copy of it. And this is the song I took off so it would all fit on one side of a 45 oh, minute cassette. <laughs> well, did you decided to take it off or whoever copied it for you just arbitrarily went, oh, I'll skip this one. No, I, I did. I, oh, I right. borrowed it and listened and went, oh, I, I only want this on one side of a cassette. Got to have to lose something. Have to lose something. And I think this one was the right length to lose and be able to get it all Ah, on. right. Okay, yeah. Ah, well, I mean, this is the shortest song on the album as well. So maybe you're just like going by that. This is the three minutes 46. All right, well, uh, well let's play this anyway. And again, this is another very pretty one. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like Mogwai, doesn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, again, I I I really like this song, and I think you two are good at doing this yeah. sort of thing. Um, again, I think the sentiment of the song is lovely. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's about a um, somebody who discovers they have a, a new a family that they weren't aware of. Is that or, or they? It's, it's about a kind of a strange family unit. Yeah. Are you thinking of Dirty Day? I don't know, am I not? I mean, this is the one that is really about religion. This is the one, like, my father is a rich man, he gave me the keys. Oh, uh, am, am I getting mixed up, am I? Dirty Day is the one where it's like, my father came back and... I thought this whole, the first time I feel love is about reconnecting with your family. Oh, right, I, I thought it was about rejecting religion. And oh, for the first right. time, I feel love amongst just oh. the earth. Maybe I've totally misinterpreted this song oh it made dirty day is very much about is is, is about the uh, i was the bad guy who walked out you said be careful where you aim do you know what i mean that oh right i've read that years and years ago and then just been listening to this in a completely the wrong way then <laughs> oh, when you, if you read it as my father mm. being your dad then yes absolutely it's about uh, your dad it's, it, it is about someone coming back into your life and going here you go here's my legacy and you going, I'm all right, actually. I've got this stuff going on on my own. But, yeah, this is the one that I... Th- I think even Bono maybe says it's about losing faith or re- rethinking faith and going... So, you know, my father's a rich man. He wears a rich man's cloak. He gave me the keys to his kingdom, but I left by the back door and I threw away the key. So the, the, the whole kingdom thing would would make me go, that's God, that's Jesus. Uh, yes. yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's what I think it is. But I think it's fucking gorgeous, this song. Absolutely beautiful. Mm. I think this one's really anonymous. I'm d- Do you? All right. Oh, right. I think this is lovely. Certainly anonymous on the tape you had, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's also, it's a real shame that it's not a cover version of that Robin Beck song that was on the Coke ad the first time. Yeah. You know, that, that would have been something to hear. Wouldn't it just? I think it's nice. I think it's a nice song. Mm. Uh, yeah, for me, again, I, the, what I take from it is that rather than seeking... The, the comfort uh, that you used to take from religion 
you're now having a look around you at, you know, you're older or whatever, and you're not necessarily as indoctrinated, you're growing up, and you're going, I don't need the comfort from that because I now want to create my own uh, comfort and experience from my friends and from mm. people around me and from humans and experiences rather than the existential possibility, that sort of thing, which, again, I, I like that as an idea. But set to this sort of backing, I think it works really nicely as just a, a sort of a life affirming. Yeah, I think it's certainly going back into the right direction with our, after a little bit of a slump. Mm-hmm. It's certainly, this is around the kind of weakest area of the record for me. Personally. Oh, okay, yeah. But I do think it's a nice enough song. Like they're very good at doing this. It's not stay, you know. It's not one of the best versions of them doing it. But I, you know, it's it's hard to hate songs like this. I think. Well, I suppose that's what you're saying, Dave. Is that you don't hate it, but it doesn't do anything for you. No, it just feels a little bit anonymous to me. Um, right. Uh, okay, well, uh, should we do number nine then, which mm-hmm. is so the second last one on the album, which is Dirty Day. Which I think that might have been Darren Day's uh, nickname at school, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's who it's about, yes. Yeah. This song's definitely about Darren Day. That's what we, wanna, <laughs> that's what we need more of in, in the 90s, songs about Darren Day. All right, so another kind of slow intro. No. Oh. Baseline coming in. There's the bass. Adam Clayton again, yeah. There you are. Nice little bass line. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I like the feel of that. That, that is a nice, it's sort of a bit grubby. Okay. So far, so good for me. This is all right. I like the guitar bit. The, that, or whatever that is in the background, that kind of high-pitched thing. It's pretty cool. Also, this is the only song on the album that is credited jointly for lyrics to Bono and The Edge. Oh, right. Everything else is just Bono. Uh, but this one, he's on a lyric credit, which I'm assuming is because he was doing more of the production stuff. He helped out in whatever ways. This one, apparently, he helped out lyrics as well. Is the old falsetto again? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure about well, he, he doesn't need to do it, but it's not as bad for me, this bit. Because it's not all like that. All right, so... I don't know. I've got a big problem with this song. There's your, there's your big chorus. Yeah. yeah. You've got a problem with it, did you say, Dave? I've got a massive problem because this chorus has just dropped in, right? This fucking big, like, kind of, almost My Bloody Valentine-esque kind of discordance. I like it so much that I think the rest of the composition lets it down. I feel like they've had a really good idea here and they've just fucking stuffed it into this song and almost abandoned it. Um, And yeah, I I like this bit so much. I'm like, what a wasted opportunity this song was. This could have been the great U2 noise song. How strange, because I really like the build-up and I'm not keen on the chorus. I'm the other way around. Right. Um, I like the music. I think this is a rare example of Bono massively letting the side down. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I think his vocal patterns and what he does lyrically, maybe not lyrically so much, but because it's obviously a bit of the edge, mm. um, but what he does with the kind of lyric, the, the, the lyrics have always, and the vocal melody of this song, when I think of this song, I can always think of the drums, I can always think of the bass, bass I can always yeah. think of that big kind of crescendo. I always go, what's the, what are the, what are the, Vocal I agree with you, man. I, th- I, th- I think I think an awful lot of what is wrong with this, uh, and, and what makes me dislike those bits, is 
are, are the vocal choices and the, and the yeah just the, the phrasing and the kind of mm. the, the melodic uh, the melodic choices he makes here i think this this seems like some demos that they've mm. put out and actually give this one give this one a bit more work in the studio lads and you've got quite a, you've got a really good song on your hands but as it as it stands it's just a, a waste of uh. of uh, everyone's fucking time i always thought it could it could almost because of the bass sound and when that kind of build comes in with the bass and the drums sound great and the guitar sort of slowly introduce themselves i was like this almost i mean you mentioned mogwai um a little while ago mm-hmm. and i think you know, they could have done a little instrumental track. I think you could oh, have had right. a kind of three-minute instrumental without Very Bono there because so. I don't think he's really got... And I mean, you know, the fact that... I, I haven't done any notes for this record. I just sort of listened to it and turned up. I haven't really read right. anything or turned... And I remembered, you know, going... So, for, like you said, oh, no, that's the song about the family. And for years, it because lyrically and vocally, it just kind of passes me by a bit. Right. I, yep. The, yep. Like yep. everything else on the album, I'm like, oh, that's about that and that's about that. And this is actually like a really good idea of a thing to write a song about. And yet, even sitting here now, I'm like, oh, right, yeah. But I've been, I've just uh, not known okay. even what it's about. But because of yeah, the... You, you do phase the lyrics out completely. A little bit. The way it, the, yeah. I agree with you completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, and I think even on something like, even Lemon, you can at least, like me and my mates used to go, she won Lemon! <laughs> yeah. And you, you could remember it. Whereas I don't <laughs> think, you know, and it, it's a, you know, say what you like about Bono again, but... He's very good at coming up with the phrasing and you can say his lyrics are cheesy and he's shit and he's all these things, but phrasing and performance and, you know, getting those kind of vocal lines and the intonation and the cadence and stuff right. He's very, very good at doing that. He's very, very good at making them stick in your brain. And in this song, it just doesn't at all. Okay. That's very interesting. Right. Because I hadn't even thought about the lyrics because, or rather the delivery, because Mm. I was basically going, all right, please don't go full falsetto. Oh, he hasn't. That's all right. Bringing it back down, tempering like that. Um, But I hadn't thought of the rest of it in any way, whether I I liked it or not, because I was going, well, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Put it like that. Um, I do think it goes on too long. I think it's five and a half minutes long. It goes on too long. And there's a bit at the end where it's just that, uh, the bit about the horses, and it's just repeating the same line over and over and over till fade out. doesn't need to be that long at all. Um, I think it, they could have made a nice three-minute track out of some of the bits of it for sure, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is, this isn't one for me. It's yeah. not uh, it's not the one I like least. I think there's some really nice bits in it, but uh, it's, it passes it passes by. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But it does bring us on to the very last song we talked about uh, on that one. Uh, Bono and his vocals potentially not being the best. So can he bring it back in the last song? <laughs> so track ten, the Wanderer. And that's a strange sound. It is, yeah. That's a, a weird noise. I, I, I was looking at this going, where are they going with this? And Bono doesn't even take lead on this. It sounds a bit like John Denver, doesn't it? <laughs> This, this, I mean, this song just sounds like a Johnny Cash song processed through an action baby filter, doesn't it? That's literally what this song is. It's just weird because whenever you hear Johnny Cash come in, suddenly I'm like, all right, I see why it's it sounds like that. But it doesn't sound like a U2 song at all to me. Like If Bono right. was singing on this, I still don't think it would sound like a U2 song. This is totally different. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure musically what this is, but... Weird. 
putting Johnny Cash lead vocals on yeah. a song in 1993, pre-Rick Rubin getting hold of him. Pre, absolutely. Like, you know, we all fucking bow down to Johnny Cash now, but, you know, we got people say, oh, we got Rick Rubin to thank for that. Well, this is this was a year that before. happening. This was a year before yeah. that first American mm-hmm. uh, uh, recordings one. Yeah. yeah. It, it, I mean, I, I'm not going to say it was a gamble because he still had a lot of fans. Uh, you know, he's still revered and that sort of thing. But it was it by no means something that you go, oh, well, people are going to love this. Yeah. 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 I, I, I personally really like this song. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think what's going on musically is really interesting. Obviously, it's it's probably the, the most flood unleashed moment on this album. Oh, okay. Album. Right. It's, it, right. it's kind of you know it's like, like loads of fucking weird loops and layers and layers of production and it's just this kind of deep ambient thing that's kind of moved along by the by uh, by the rhythm as well mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah very much the, interestingly the bass line sounds like Material Girl it does yeah I like that yeah, yeah I really like this one a lot it's an incredibly unusual way to end what is I think a very very unusual it album yes it's uh pretty fucking nuts to get Johnny Cash to sing over some kind of electro synth dream point thing I think it's sort of meant to be a bit of a joke as well I'm not entirely sure that the song itself is I mean I think lyrically Johnny Cash comes in and, and plays it pretty straight and again sure. it's kind of that's the one that I was thinking this is clearly like a big religious um, metaphor, oh, okay. right? Well, and there's, there's there's definitely there's choral backing and stuff mm. in it as well, right? Sure. Yeah, you know. I read an interview with Flood and he said this is a cut and paste lyric. Basically, they did loads of. Johnny Cash came in and did lots of takes on it and they tried to put it together, but what he actually did is he went through all of the takes and he tried to remove all of the emotion. So he tried to get Johnny Cash at his most. Oh unimpassioned okay because it is a very flat take if you listen to it it's sure there's, there's no kind of swell or emotion really in what johnny catch is doing it's like a very kind of flat thing and that was the version that the bono wanted obviously all the backing vocals on the track are bono right sure okay it is a strange way to finish the album off like strange you said. way to, yeah. to finish it an album weird. off I think it's the right way to. I, th- I think it's the only place you could have put this track on the Definitely. album though. oh god yeah oh, but i do i am surprised to put it on at all again you know, I've not said it for a little while. I've been holding back probably waiting for this song. <laughs> like, this is a weird record from a from a massive band of this size. It's incredibly Huge. weird. One of the record. biggest in the world. At the and point, yeah. to end your album with such a weird song, which is so different. And like you say, this is something you could definitely play this to someone and go, what band is this? And oh, they wouldn't say that it would take Never in a million years. 400,000 guesses before yeah. they got to U2. And I think that's really, really cool. Like, just as... That itself is cool. Sure. I think the song is pretty decent. It's not my... I mean, this is the problem with this album. It sort of drops off a cliff a little bit for me. But it does at least end on something where I go, I admire this. Like you say, they were at this point going, well, fuck it, we can because we're the biggest band in the world. We can do Mm. whatever we want. Mm. And And not a lot of bands of that... You know, most bands that get to stadiums, they don't take risks anymore. The kind of irony is, is that so many bands who have the luxury of being able to take risks don't do that yeah no that i, I agree there yeah apart from obviously the red hot chili peppers who are definitely know, the red hot chili peppers are one who they record. took the risk of becoming fucking unbearable <laughs> yeah that's a big risk if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the discussion I'm not really running the risk man they ran the risk and like crossed that finish line some 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh cool all right well that, that, that's the album right 10 songs in and 
I was pleasantly surprised because I didn't know if I was going to like this at all. I assumed because I had absolutely deliberately swerved it at the time that there was a reason for that and I wasn't going to like this. I was I was pleasantly surprised. I thought there are some really good songs on this. There's some I didn't like at all. Totally fine. But there were more that I thought that's really nice than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy with that. Dave? I mean, I I knew this album quite well at the time. Um, it, it remains an oddity amongst their records. As you say, I think the fact that it's one of the most spe- experimental ones, mm. uh, you know, has, has a lot to say for it. it. You know, it speaks a lot of the kind of the time we're in musically as well. There's a lot of different ideas flying around. Um, it's, you know, it, it's definitely a climb down after Acton Baby. Mm-hmm. But again, comparing it to Acton Baby is a little bit unfair. It's not that, that's true. Apples yeah. Apples, you know, yeah. as I say, but I mean, for, for me, it works. It works very well as a decent b-sides outtakes album even though that's not really what it is but it's it's certainly i'd I'd take this album every day over fucking how to dismantle an atomic bomb or oh yeah jesus christ the the latest stuff that they did Uh, well shall we have a look and see what twitter said as well oh yeah 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 we had a few things come through on twitter all right dave roddy loved acting baby wasn't that taken by this although one of the girls a different one to last time loved it uh so i would constantly say lemon in a squeaky voice whenever i would see her i thought i was funny it works though dave roddy piping bitches left right (laughs) (laughs) okay ben collins not as good as acting baby but still youtube's second best album as if it is Ben Collins. That's a crazy thing to say, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's a really mad thing to say. I mean, that, that surely is, uh, you've only listened to two U2 albums. Or, or you specifically like a very specific type of music that was being made around Maybe, this yeah, era, yeah. and that's all you like, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you don't like Joshua Tree, you don't like Rattle and Hum. I personally prefer Rattle and Hum to Joshua Tree, which is controversial, I appreciate. That is controversial. But uh, I still have the VHS video single for Num somewhere, whatever happened to that format, it, was commercially unsuccessful. Oh, oh indeed. Um, so was that all Ben Collins? That was Ben Collins, yeah. Nice. Uh, Darren, a very disappointing follow-up to Action Baby, more like a B-Sides and Rarities album. Stay and first time are passable, the rest are a bit shit. Pop Mart live show on the Bastards album was still one of the most incredible live shows I've seen. I had to correct him on that. It oh, yeah. wasn't the uh, Pop Mart tour, it was the Zeropa leg. Uh, I've still got some branded condoms uh, from that merch stand somewhere in a, in a suit. Have you not? <laughs> Are they lemon flavored? <laughs> I do, man. I was, se- I was I was seventeen. I had no use for them. Um... <laughs> we got one here from DJ Mike the Trail. Uh, love it. This was part of the first tour I saw them on. Love the Wanderer with Johnny Cash. Although the alarm at the end is a right cunt. Uh, Numb is great too. Uh, yeah, there is. After about a minute's silence after the Wanderer ends, there's an alarm comes on to to scare you at the end of the CD. Brad is seventy-seven. I had I loved Action Baby. I really wasn't feeling this when it came out, and still don't really now. Nothing as good as here on Hold Me, Kill, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me that came out a couple of years later. Mm-hmm. Would have loved to have seen that live show they did around this time. And yep, absolutely, you were right. John in Leeds title track is a stormer. Wasn't anywhere near the previous album. But quite like the lo-fi kind of sound they had. Just had a look, and apparently it was Eno and Flood. Eno could make a turg sparkle. He could. I, mean, I must say, title track is a stormer. Is uh, I mean, I'm not sure if Zuropa could be called a stormer. No, it doesn't strike me as a stormer, particularly on this album. I, I, I very much enjoyed it, but uh, as as a storming track, I don't know. But fair enough, John and Leeds. Oh, we also had a really nice email actually from Neil Budd, who also, by the way, uh, many many thanks, Neil, because he sent us a bit of money on the PayPal. Really appreciate that, man. 
anyone else can do the same. Our uh, PayPal address is on the website, pclpodcast.com. But Neil says, For better or worse, I was really looking forward to this album and had loved Acting Baby and the Zoo TV tour before this, which I still play a little too often. This, however, rarely gets a revisit. And on listening again, I remember why. It seems like an EP that's been dragged out into an album thrown together with no huge standout tracks. I still think Stay is a great song and sounds like a leftover from Acting Baby. And I like The Wanderer as a closer, although... Again, like many of the tracks, is too long. Oh, that's a fair, that's a fair uh, criticism on some of those. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for getting in contact, Neil. Joe Sullivan, this album went over my head when I was a teenager, which is no surprise as I was twatting about a happy hardcore in the Northwest at the time. But I've had a couple of chill-out sessions with, which included Lemon, and I think that track is actually a masterpiece. Okay, not the consensus here, but glad you're enjoying it. Well, mate, I think if you were twatting about a happy hardcore, all the drugs you did have fucked your brain enough that you think Lemon is a masterpiece. Surely, Joe, that's that's the only reason I can think of. Look, don't insult the listeners. Oh, no, no. we had this conversation It's very true. Anyway. I think the overriding thing that we see from all of those is the comparison to Acting Baby. Everyone's going, not as good as Acting Baby, different to Acting Baby. You know, that Everyone was expecting Acting Baby Part 2 or something like that, and that's not what we were presented with. No, and... Uh... Fair fucking play, I think, to come out with a record and just push that envelope a little bit further. I mean, for me, you know, I think some of those comments seem fair enough. I believe this to be the last, I'm not going to say great, I'm going to say the last good U2 album. This for me, I think if you take the kernel of the best songs, the amount of ideas, the amount of experimentation that they they as a band decided to indulge themselves in... Um, overall, I think this certainly would be a kind of high seven pushing an eight if I were marking it out of 10. I think there's a okay. couple of like, it definitely does dip towards the end. But for Numb, the title track, yeah. uh, Stay Far Away So Close, yeah. Daddy's Gonna Pay For Your Crash Car, The Wanderer. I mean, that's half the tracks I think are great. You've got a couple of all right ones and you've got this just, uh, this really, really admirable sense from a huge band of, doing whatever the fuck Let's they wanted see. to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I am convinced by that. I, you know, to be honest with you, and I, you know, I, I think that actually is a, quite a, a, a convincing argument that you've, that you have made well and consistently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but no, I, I mean, I, I agree. I mean, I, I don't think I'd go quite as high. I, I, this, this is a six and a half, seven for me, um, but it's high points are good, which d- does lead us to the subject, Krista, of, uh, tracks for the, for the playlist. playlist yes okay so first of all how me- i mean I, I i can i'm a definite two on this one oh, right definite, yeah okay i mean I, I would definitely put the case for I, I i would say numb is a walk-in on this one fine yeah i think numb's great and stay far away so close i would definitely have yeah those would be my two favorites um obviously we have essentially gone down the singles route there we've put two of the singles on which i know we try not to do if we can help it but sometimes they are the best songs on the album if i was going to pick a third it would be title track zoropa but i don't know i think i'd just go with two personally i'm fine with two i think zoropa is uh you know like i said in three parts and i think two of those parts are really good one is okay but yeah i'm happy with two Stephen, if you were picking which ones would you go for uh to, for two yeah I mean if it was your choice entirely well, three. Minimum, minimum one maximum three okay. Which what would you pick I go for three and I would have daddy's gonna pay for your crash car mm-hmm. numb and stay would be my picks right fair enough yeah. fair enough oh, that's, that's that's more crossover then yeah. mm. 
Yeah, not not wildly out on that one then. Mate, mate uh, Stephen, I've got to say, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on here, Thank mate. you so um, much. No I'm, worries, lads. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely, genuinely devastated that I've had to do this one over Zoom. I was looking forward to hanging out and having yeah. a couple of pints or whatever, and I'm really fucked off about it. So I, I hope we can do it again sometime. Indeed. Oh, mate, park life is on the horizon, <laughs> mate. Looming. So, you know, get me back on. We're not doing park life. We'll we're, 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 we're actually, it, it, like, honestly, we'll, it'll, it'll be more of like an inter-podcast <laughs> fight. And we can't have that. I did think as well, um, uh, you see this thing that's happening at the minute with podcasts where Acast, I think, are doing podcast mashups mm. and they're doing it for comic relief. Yeah. And I was like, we've actually just accidentally done this. We, we sort of have, yeah. We've yeah, accidentally we have sort of done, done one. We're joining in, even though we're not getting any credit for it. Pricks. But, uh, uh, dude, talking about your podcast, please tell us everywhere that we can find your shit. We basically do a weekly show just kind of rounding up the stuff, what has happened in the week Mm -hmm. in kind of broadly speaking alternative music. I know some people get a bit grumpy with us because we started covering like The weekend and Uh, Taylor Swift and stuff. And they're like, wow, why aren't you doing the bloody spirit box album but i'm just a little bit less interested in that at the moment <laughs> to be perfectly honest um but yeah we just try and cover everything from you know full of hell and pig destroyer to the national and um you know the weekend and dave mm-hmm. or whatever and uh yeah and and so, we, yeah and that's your regular one that you and remfrey do that's a regular uh, one the, the, what happened what's going on right yeah, now that's kind of what's going on right now we'll put up if a big album comes out like you know ghost had an album out a couple of weeks or a week or so ago and we put um put a sort of big review of that up mm-hmm. and also if you want to go to patreon.com forward slash right act podcast have a patreon page where you can suggest an album for us to review and we will do that any album from any point ever for any amount of money or we do two classic albums a month um we've done a bit like what i guess me and dave did in part of life because we did muse origin of symmetry recently and i think muse are a lot of old shite but <laughs> renfrey loves them uh right. so we've done muse recently on classic albums but we've got loads and loads of classic albums that i think people would be enjoying and also every monday we do broken records where yes. we search for the worst album ever made ever and that's probably my favourite thing to do. I mean, that's got to be weirdly, good fun to do. Weirdly. It's What's like, your most recent one on that? Uh, well, actually, funnily enough, it's a, I, I'm not going to put... Oh, we did Farrah Abraham from Teen Mum, MTV's Teen Mum, put an album out. Yeah. Jesus and Christ. That, Fucking hell, did she really? Uh, that is a trauma... That's quite a traumatising listen. I mean, look, Farrah, reality TV shows, ha, ha, ha. Farrah Abraham's had quite a difficult life, and that album was uh, was not nice to oh, cover. Oh, no, but right. Go one the week before that, and we did Richard Blackwood. And Richard Blackwood's <laughs> album, I tell you what, oh my, Richard. Now that was wow. that was a lollicorse. The Richard oh. Blackwood episode <laughs> that was great. So yeah, right. uh, I would definitely say start with Richard Blackwood Excellent. and um, work your way backwards. Yeah, I do like doing that. Mr. Blobby and Crazy Frog and stuff like that. Uh, Whenever would yeah. you sit down and listen to the Mr. Blobby album? Never, of Never. course not. <laughs> of course Absol- not. No, Jesus why would Christ! You? So we do that for you. Well, we'll put links to all of this sort of stuff in the description of this podcast, so you can go and check it out. Um, and also, you, uh, if you follow you on Twitter, you put uh, links to the stuff you because you yeah. write for Metal Hammer mm-hmm. and you write for various publications as well. I do. We'll also put up a, a link to your Twitter and stuff so that people can go and see your other writings, etc., etc. Thanks, lads. But I look, appreciate that. Genuinely, thank you so much for coming on, man. And no worries, uh, anytime. Also, we should point out um, 
this is almost reciprocation because you were kind enough to have Dave and I on your one when we did the uh, One Hit Wonders episode mm-hmm. with you guys. If you haven't heard that as well, it's a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun doing yeah, that it's, one. It, I mean, it's, it, it's become known as the the Eagle Eye Cherry debacle yeah. amongst <laughs> podcast circles. Eagle Eye Cherry Gate. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll come back. I mean, look, we've we've had a few different ideas for other things that we'll have. Uh, mm, indeed. No, we've been we should just do a genuine crossover episode, shouldn't we, really? The, the four of us and Absolutely. do something nice. 90s-esque. Get, get together in a room and do a drinking game. I think that's what Good we should Christ. do. Poor Renfrey, he's going to get bullied, isn't he? Oh, day. sure. That's, that's the, the entire point. Yeah, well, we got accused of bullying Renfrey, and I, I, I didn't mean to. I'm <laughs> from Luton, though. It's in my nature. I can't help it. Right, I'm going to go and cough more yep. elsewhere. Feel better um, soon, mate. See you all again soon, listeners. Bye-bye. Thank you for checking out this episode of Pop Collaborate and Listen. It was produced and edited by us, for which we can only apologise. We're on Twitter, at PCL Podcast, on Instagram, also at PCL Podcast, and facebook.com slash PCL Podcast. All of these, plus links to our various Spotify playlists, etc., are on our website, which is PCLPodcast.com. Please feel free to get in contact via any of the social media or on PCLMusicPodcast at gmail.com.